inevitable. One must destroy in order to create. We are no Jedi. I started hearing whispers of Thrawn's return as heir to the Empire. What happens when we find Thrawn? Power. Such as you've never dreamed. I've spent most of my life fighting a war. That's why I'm trying to convince you to help me prevent another one. You and I both know who could help you with this. She's still just as stubborn as ever. I bet your master found you difficult at times. Anakin never got to finish my training. I walked away from him, just like I walked away from Sabine. You never made things easy for me. Master. As a Jedi, sometimes you have to make the decision no one else can. But I'm counting on you to see this through. Nice haircut. Sometimes we have to do what's right, regardless of our personal feelings. Buckle up. If we don't stop Thrawn, everything will be in vain. You have no power. Anakin spoke highly of you. I'm not here to discuss my past. We have a lot of work to do. Once a rebel, always a rebel. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. I am trying to do my best Hondo Onaka impression, my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to the IPC podcast. That's about as much of an accent as you're going to get out of me. Everything else is going to be straight up Zach Arnold and Ben Hart talking about one of the biggest nerd-related pieces of material that we are going to get in 2023. And believe me, it is going to be a super deep dive. Episode 366 of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. Ben, we waited specifically to record this episode after the season finale aired. Luckily, we got our schedules to line up where we're recording just one day removed from the finale how many times have you gotten to see it, and what are your thoughts on the way this series concluded? We're going to start spoiler-free for now, but believe me, we will dive into spoilers later. Um, <clears throat> I feel the need to start with a with a a good impression, but I don't have a good Star Wars impression. I'm sorry, I, I don't. So I'm just gonna. I'm I don't either. I just. 
I was just winging it because I keep I know, doing the same old intros over and over again. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to switch it up this time, but I'm probably never going to do that again. Jim Cummings is going <laughs> to no, come after me in my sleep. No, no. To be fair, not a bad Hondo. Not a bad Hondo. You you get, pat yourself on the back for that one. Not a bad Hondo. Um, to answer your questions, I have only seen the episode, unfortunately, only one time. Um, <clears throat> and But I will say, as of right now, I really did enjoy this over series overall and enjoyed this finale. It was not satisfying, really, <laughs> in a lot of ways. But I think that was by design. So I can't fault it for that. It's clear that um, there's other stuff happening and that we will probably get a season two. Um, in fact, if we don't get a season two, um, a lot of people, including myself, have have have, uh, have decided to riot at Lucasfilm if this doesn't happen. Um, so um, <laughs> I think too. that's I think. Yeah, you don't don't put it past me. So um, but it still was great. And it's weird because usually at the end of a Star Wars series, I am here and I've had so much time to talk about it and go through my feelings and just go through the minutiae and talk about each and every episode. This is the first time publicly on a podcast I have talked about this show since oh it began. My. This is crazy. This is an IPC exclusive, okay? Star Wars Thunderbolt, for the record, is still on hiatus, okay? It will be for at least another week or so. Um, hopefully, we'll be bringing it back. We'll doing a whole other thing with that. But for IPC, this is a whole new ball game for me. And holding all this stuff in and just kind of watching it like a normal person, not <laughs> not getting on a podcast and dis <laughs> discussing every little minute detail, just going like, oh, yeah, I watched the episode and liked it. It was fun. Like that's been an interesting experience. Maybe we'll get into more of that later. But um, yes, it's it's great to finally talk about it. And I will say this is one of my favorite series so far. This has been an incredible series. One of the best, if not the best, of the Disney Plus era. And it's just been an incredible thing. And I think it's really a great package deal. These eight episodes were all magnificent. I think each episode somehow topped the previous one in a lot of cases. Um, yeah, it's just a, a Soka was things. And it did not – it started slow for me. It really did. But overall, I really, really, really enjoyed this show, man. I'm with you, dude. I, I think starting slow is, is definitely a good way to describe it, mostly because there were a lot of things that were happening in episodes like six, seven and eight that kept getting alluded to in the first couple episodes. But I was just sitting there going, OK, this is fine, but let's actually like have these these extrapolation on things that we have been wanting since the show started, basically since. Uh, since season two of Mandalorian, we're like, OK, give us things like Thrawn, give us things like, you know, this over here. And it really did take a while to get there and it took a while for it to pay off. But there were definitely a lot of really, really awesome and redeeming qualities uh, about this series that I'm really, really excited to talk about. But we are getting just a tiny bit ahead of ourselves, as per usual here on the IPC podcast. One of the things that we like to do right off the top is Edna's icebreaker. My lovely wife always sends us an icebreaker question that we can talk about right off the top and kind of get us into things. But we're probably not going to spend as much time on these because we've got a lot of Ahsoka to cover. That is the meat yep. and potatoes of this 
episode. We're not going to be having a top five. We're going to have a pretty cool pick three on next month's episode. But the 90% probably of this show is going to be strictly Ahsoka. But as per usual, the icebreaker will start us off. And uh, we've got two options, Ben. Do you want to go with option number one or option number two? Whatever one we don't use, uh, we'll probably use next month. Let's go with option number one because I think I have I think I have an answer for this one. I feel like maybe we've discussed this one before, and people in the chat can tell us if we have or if we haven't. I wouldn't know because um, I don't remember anything from any of these podcasts ever. I mean, there are some people that will go back and listen to stuff from months and months or even years ago and be like, I can't believe you said that. And I'm like, yeah, me neither. <laughs> Cause I didn't even know. It's like a it. whole new experience. It's like I'm listening to somebody else because I don't remember ever saying these things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, okay. So maybe what I'm thinking of is, is just a similar question. I think maybe we had like, what would your last meal be? I think uh, that was one of our questions. Right before you're going to be like, executed for a crime. Or like something. like if you're on death point? row, yeah, what yeah. would your last meal be? But this one's a little bit different. It says if you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? One meal every day until you die. What is that one meal? I mean, my default answer is, is barbecue because I, I, I eat it almost every day um and i haven't really gotten tired of it um so that that's one thing but for to 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 avoid a cop-out answer here i'm going to go with this is hard because i do a lot you know what i'm going to say it and maybe i'm stealing your answer i'm sorry tacos I, <laughs> oh man tacos are are definitely up there but because you can get I, so many variations if you just get if you exactly. if you get like tacos like oh you're gonna eat tacos for this you're like oh i can have hard tacos i can have soft tacos i can have sub tacos with meat i can have tacos with with chicken i can have tacos with shrimp I, you know there's a whole different mm -hmm. variations there's so much they're, mm -hmm. they're the most versatile food on the planet they are they really are and you can get tacos from different places you know around here like from in, in the town where I live, you, you've you come to visit me before. You, okay. You've seen all the different taco establishments that are nearby me. I mean, I know it's been like, what, five years since you've been down here. We got to fix that, by the way. But yeah. um, I I know for a fact that there are at least six or seven different places within a two mile radius of me that have either tacos on their menu or tacos in the title of their establishment, <laughs> like Taco Bell, Taco Bueno, Taco Casa, Taco Cabana, Taco Express. Like there are all these different places that have the word taco in the title. And you're like, OK, yeah, I know they've got tacos here. They have to be very misleading if they didn't. So, yeah, tacos are a great answer. I'm, I'm kind of going in a similar vein as far as the versatility goes. And I am picking potatoes. Because you can have fried potatoes, you can have scalloped potatoes, you can have baked potatoes, you can have them mashed, you can have them air fried, you can have them decorated however you want. And they can be the main course, they can be a side dish, they can be an accompaniment to just about anything that you get, whether it's a burger or chicken or, you know, just about any meal you get. 
at a drive-thru comes with a side of fries or potatoes or something like that. If you get breakfast, it's going to be like a hash brown or something. So I think to go in that similar vein of versatility, I would probably pick potatoes. I know it's not the healthiest option, but I love them. No, I mean, come on, potatoes. I mean, again, so versatile. <laughs> it's uh, right. So and that just way you never there. that way that way you never get sick of it. And maybe that's a cop out. Maybe we have to be like super specific. Like I would order the number one from Chick Fil A or something like that. Like I don't I don't know if if that's the case. Then yeah, I would probably actually get the number one from Chick Fil A. But um, I I don't I don't really know if that's what it means. So we I can think- interpret it. However, think we maybe, want, damn it. I think we're maybe maybe we're missing the most versatile food on the planet. Um, that's also a huge cheat, which is corn, which you can make tortillas Ugh. from. You can actually eat corn by itself. You can do so many things with corn. Like corn and potatoes are like, you know, there's just like a million things you can do with them. You can stick them in soup, you can grind it up in and you know make it into a into some sort of a matzo or whatever like there's all kinds of things you can do with it um most of the time if i have it like in a soup or or on the cob or what have you um it usually just kind of goes right through me so i don't know if it would be my first choice but i do like a good corn tortilla for sure yeah totally okay well that is a fun icebreaker and now it's going to make me hungry for the rest of the night even though i did have a pretty solid meal um I, uh, I, I, I'm going to be thinking about food, and it's kind of funny that we're going to start our conversation with food, and then we'll end it with a barbecue segment at the end as well. As we do. But as we always do, and so it, it'll be kind of nice to bookend it with food-related items. But one of the other things that we do on this variety-style program, we'll usually incorporate something from our audience, and instead of doing a top five, we're going to have our uh, reviews on the Intergalactic Peace Hangout. So mm-hmm. if you're a part of that group – then we'll probably try to read your responses. Or if you're listening live, we'll try to answer your uh, questions and responses in the chat here on Mixler. But um, we have several responses from people about what they felt about this season. And uh, it was really cool to see all the different input that people provided. So we will get to that. But the main topic that we usually have here on the show is called, What Are You Watching?, And sometimes, like the last episode, we will just get so caught up in everything that we've been watching. And it's like, oh, I've been watching this. Oh, I've been watching this. Oh, I've been, you know, re-watching Bob's Burgers. And you're just like, oh, I've never seen a single one. (laughs) Um, So sometimes, like the previous episode, we'll have something like that. But then on, uh, on, on nights like these... We'll just have a whole episode dedicated to the same thing that the both of us have been watching. And so I'm pretty excited about right. that. Yeah. Yeah. And and for for me, like pretty much the only thing I've been watching that I've had a chance to watch since we last spoke, which was actually not that long ago, uh, is this show. Um, the only other thing, literally the only other thing I think I've watched is I finished I finished my Mission Impossible watch through. Um, so I've seen all of the ah. Mission Impossible movies. I watched um, – what was it? Uh, Rogue Nation? It was four or five. I lost count. They, they, stop, they, get, oh, you know, they get to the point in that in the franchise where they stop numbering them, and they just start giving them names. So you just forget, yep. forget how many there is. It's Rogue Nation, which is right before the one that I first <laughs> saw like several years ago. So I've made, come full circle. I saw Fallout first. And now I've come back to Rogue Nation, which is the prequel to that one. So, um, Rogue Nation, a Mission Impossible story. 
<laughs> I didn't. No, no. Wasn't that the thing? That was the thing. Rogue Nation, I think, came out around the same time as Rogue One. And they had oh, to come to it? like like um they had to come to like agreement that like when they could promote their movies so they wouldn't overstep each other. <laughs> oh man. I, no, I didn't remember that. I was pr- I, honestly I was pretty uh fixated on Rogue One at the time. And same. I really wasn't I really wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. It looks like uh Rogue Nation came out July of twenty fifteen. And go. Rogue which, One came which, out December of 16, didn't it? December of 16. So big gap there, but at the same time. It's about, it's about 18 months. Yeah. But there was like, I know there was trailers and stuff for Rogue One and stuff like that. And like we knew about Rogue One. And obviously being a Star Wars movie, people start talking about it well in advance. As soon as they announce yeah. it, we're talking about it. So yeah. I'm sure there was a little bit of a lapse of just like, let Rogue Nation do its thing because Rogue One's going to take over everyone's brains after this. Yeah, pretty much. Like they got their 15 seconds of fame for sure, but it was only about 15 seconds. It was pretty short lived. <laughs> and then everybody started focusing on that instead. So, um, yeah, the the chat's already pretty alive and well over on Mixler. Uh, the username, the one formerly known as Sage, I think we know who that is. Uh, mm-hmm. Glad to see that he's taken a night off from streaming to listen to our stream. That's pretty cool. Welcome. Glad welcome, to have welcome. you. Uh, Steven, Ben and Zach are going to hate me for posting a long comment. Well, guess what, dude? I'm going to alternate it to where Ben gets stuck with your comment this time instead of I'll me. I'll read it, okay? I'm the one that asked everyone <laughs> their opinion, so I think it's only fair that I'm the one that has to read the longest comments. That. <laughs> oh, no, we wanted fan input. We wanted listener input, and we're we're glad that y'all are along for the ride tonight. Um, Let's just go ahead and, and start with overall spoiler-free thoughts, and I know we kind of touched on it before we did the icebreaker, yeah. Um, but it's, it's so interesting for me personally. I'm just, I'm just going to kick it off cause I'm already talking. I, I'm a little hyper, yeah. so I, I don't, I don't know how that's going to go for us tonight. Um, it was very, very interesting watching the first two episodes back to back and getting a feel for what the show was going to be about. You know, we we see something that's kind of like a like a mystery episode. We see something that's more like a getting you caught up on the characters episode. Uh, we see a a very rebellious Sabine kind of striking out on her own the same way she always does. But this time, maybe a little bit more so than usual. And so we're we're just trying to get caught up with everybody. We're trying to see how everybody's doing and. By the time we get to, I want to say, episode four, I want to say it's like episodes four and five is when things really hit the ground running. And you get a lot more depth, you get a lot more character exposition, you get a lot more of what we thought the entire season was going to be. And I think that may be what you were alluding to with a, with a slow burn, Ben is it it took almost half the season to get the kind of depth that we were hoping for from the entire season. But then by the time we get to like six, seven and eight in, in my opinion, this is not just peak star Wars television, but peak star Wars in general. It's just it's so well crafted. It's so well shot. It's got so many implications that tie into the the current 
saga, but also have a little bit of truth to the legends that everybody kind of grew up on in our generation. Yes, it's a little fan servicey at times, but as a whole, very, very solid piece of Star Wars. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm going to echo a lot of what you what you just said. I think for me, going into this, seeing the first two episodes was a bit of a weird experience because I was I was not I was not grabbed for the first two episodes. I really was just kind of like, ah, I'm not sure how to feel about this because it was a lot I liked. There was also a lot that I didn't really care for. I think it was it was a very Ooh. much a slow burn. It was very much a slow burn, and you know it was a slow couple episodes. It had some great big moments, but there was a lot of exposition there. There was a lot of unanswered questions. We didn't know who Balin and Shin are really. We didn't really answer questions of that. We really still haven't. <laughs> we still haven't got those questions <laughs> answered fully. So you know that's, that's all hanging out there. But you know there was some ways that the, even like down to the dialogue was just like the way the dialogue was paced. I was like, this is really interesting. Like the, the, I think the first real conversation we get between Sabine and Ahsoka is like Ahsoka would say something that would be like five or ten seconds would go by, and then Sabine would say something, and it would just be like this whole thing, how it was paced. And I was like, this. I'm not saying this is bad. It's just really different for a Star Wars show or Star Wars movie to be like paced like this. It's so right. kind of withdrawn. I'm just like, I know this is okay. It's not bad. I'm just having trouble getting used to it. There was some other things and just being kind of dropped in the middle of the action, not only because I was worried about people coming into this going like, okay, if you haven't seen Rebels, how are you going to approach this? What is this going to be like for you? And for me, as someone who, who, who really did enjoy Rebels, coming into this going like, Okay, I'm confused because stuff's happened since Rebels. We had this prior right. relationship with Ahsoka, and I kept waiting for something to happen there in regards to like some kind of further explanation, further you know, exploration of that. And really didn't get that. It really isn't until like the last episode where there's a there's a conversation between two characters that kind of confirms everything. But it is kind of this thing. So it took it was kind of a slow burn. After the first couple episodes, I was like, okay, it's not bad. I'm just not sure how I feel about this. This is not going to be my favorite Star Wars show. I just kind of made peace with that. And then the third episode mm -hmm. came, and I was like, this is way more my speed. Third episode grabbed me, pulled me in. This is it. And then by the time you get to episode four, Sith just got real. Like it, that. That's when the show, I think, really hit its stride. I think just that whole sequence. And then obviously you get to episode five and six and seven, and it's just like keeps going, keeps building on itself. I think each episode from there on out just builds. I, I think truly there's very few seasons of television division, period, much less Star Wars shows where you have each episode building on the other. And I think every episode is better than the last. And I think maybe with the exception of the finale for me, um, every episode just gets better and better and better, um, even though it's really hard to top episode five. Episode five is insane. In the in the mm -hmm. take insane and just bold and blow it up to however big a font you can because that just describes that episode. It is breathtaking. Um, but overall, I think like I was going into this being like I liked Mandalorian. I liked Book of Boba Fett. I wasn't super keen on Mandalorian season three. Lots of love there, but also I had some issues with it. And then. Yeah. I really loved Andor, and I was like, this is great. 
But also I came into Andor going like, well, it doesn't have the fantasy element of this. It has the great writing and the great acting and the mm-hmm. great, you know, the storytelling, but there's a lot of fantasy elements. There's kind of the Star Warsiness of Star Wars is kind of missing from Andor. That's the one thing. And I was like, okay, I like Andor, but it's not got everything that I want in it. Ahsoka really took like the great acting, the great writing, the great storytelling, the great production value, and also threw in this really this is the most fantastical Star Wars we've seen, I think. This is this is Star Wars throwing that fantasy element back into the mix. And I think it made quite possibly the best show they've made so far. I I from what I'm seeing on social media, particularly on Twitter slash X, whatever they're calling it these days. <laughs> Who knows? There is quite a divisive debate between Andor and Ahsoka. And I will say Andor is really well-written, character-driven, gritty television. I, I will I will stand on that soapbox for as long as people will let me before they shove me off of it. It is fantastic television but i think it's also geared towards a more casual viewer i think if you have never been a part of star wars but you want to see like the spark of rebellion and see some compelling characters you don't really need to know very much other than imperial oppression then you can watch andor and pretty much not know anything else about star wars and still enjoy the heck out of it so that's the kind of audience that it's kind of geared towards and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that however ahsoka i think is very much geared towards the diehards the ones who have been brought up on this franchise the ones who know some of the references and know some of the characters who have grown up watching the Clone Wars and watching Rebels and seeing all of these different things playing out and now paying off. And so I think it's it's created for different audiences, and therefore it's not fair to draw a comparison between the two because – I've always seen Star Wars, and and I think there's a a post that talks about this, too. It's like a buffet, you know? Oh, yeah. You you pick and choose what part of the buffet you really enjoy. If you go to Golden Corral, you're not eating from every single station. Maybe some of us are because, you know, we're fatties like that. But for the most part, you're kind of going back to the same station over and over again because you really, really enjoy what – that particular area has to offer. So there's a really big camp that really likes Andor. That's great. There's another camp that is really, really enjoying Ahsoka. And that's great too. And there's a select few of us that like to go to both. And I don't know if y'all heard that, but there was some very loud lightning and thunder going on right outside. I didn't hear anything. That's interesting. It was it was pretty loud and it kind of made me shake just a little bit, kind of a. You gotta love the, like a little we'll love the lightning bolts that hit like right outside your window and just like shake honestly, it to your core. Honestly, it kind of sounded like the lightning that goes off when they do the flicker between characters for Anakin oh, and Vader in Episode Five. Yeah, yeah, that's um. 
like yeah intense that, that's what that's that's what that sounded like and we're going to get to that in a second but we're not we're not going to do a whole lot of spoilers just yet just a few more minutes of non-spoilers but i'm going to drive my point home andor is great ahsoka is great two different shows please try not to compare apples to oranges yeah i i only compare them just i compare them in a good way because some people are just like Andor is crap and Ahsoka is peak Star Wars or vice versa. I'm comparing them just of just like Andor is like I put it on a pedestal. It's so great. But now I'm trying to like it's a small pedestal, but I'm trying to shove Ahsoka onto the pedestal. I want them to share the space because I think they're both peak Star Wars now. I'm, I can't figure out which one I like better. Um, But that's just a me problem of just like these things are both great and it really doesn't matter. And it's kind of stupid to compare them because they are – so completely different if they didn't have star wars on them they would not even be in the same genre and they aren't in the same genre because andor is a spy thriller and right ahsoka exactly. is a is a is a fantasy is a fantasy show like full-on lord of the rings the last episode is the title of it is is a callback to the you know the lion the witch in the wardrobe fantasy like it's it's full-on exactly. like that so it's exactly. they're they're totally different and it is is such a shame that people like they can't because that's the thing with Star Wars fans. Star Wars fans, I love you. I am one of you because but y'all are insufferable sometimes because <laughs> you can't like compliment something without putting something else down. You can't say Ahsoka is great. You can't do that without saying because it makes the sequels look like even more garbage. I'm like, just just, just enjoy the thing. Don't watch the thing you don't like. Watch the thing you do like. It's that simple, guys. Well, I've been talking to my wife about this because surprisingly, she actually watched all of Ahsoka with me and and was very patient with me when I tried to um, describe everything that was happening outside of the episodes um, because she's never watched Rebels. So she doesn't know who Sabine and Hera are. And we watched a few particular Ahsoka driven Clone Wars episodes just to kind of get her caught up there a little bit. And um, just tonight, uh, we watched the first episode of the Mortis arc so that we could kind of touch on on that. And it was a little bit of research for me as well, because I haven't seen that episode in freaking forever. But when you when you watch that first episode, um, it it really helps emphasize a lot of the stuff that's going on um, in the final five six minutes of uh the the season finale and it's it's just it's so good dude it's so good but i must admit i'm a little nervous because i'm hosting this shindig and i just heard the weather alert sirens going off in my neighborhood oh that's not good you know those ones that tell you to like take shelter immediately those kinds of things (laughs) <laughs> oh, do we're, we need to do we need to pause the podcast um, so you can go hide? Because I can tell you, I've been there. It's scary. And I'll well, hold down the podcast for a minute. If you got if you need to go do something, hunker down, because that that's that's I, I've known not to not to ignore those sirens. Well, I, I, I do ignore them because I'm a Texan and I'm an idiot <laughs> like that. 
I, I swear to God, dude, sometimes you'll see more Texans outside in the street looking for the tornado than you'll actually see them hunkering down inside their house. No, no, no. Look, I live in Mississippi, okay? We have Category 5 monster hurricanes come bearing down on us, and there are people like, hey, you want to come to my hurricane party? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, I just I just want to keep the, the 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 folks at home aware of what's going on, so that if the power goes out, if the internet goes out, we have contingencies in place, but uh, we might have to expedite the conversation uh, because I'll be running on battery at that point. So, um, just keeping you all in the loop. That's all I'm doing. But uh, this the storm seems to be moving pretty quickly. So I, I would imagine that by the time we're actually done with this conversation, it'll be on the other end of the state because that's how long we usually talk. So, so, um, it's, it's, it's interesting watching some of those other episodes of TV, going back and watching the season two episode of Mando that's got Morgan Elsbeth in it, um, going and watching a couple episodes of the Clone Wars here and there so that you kind of have an idea of, you know, Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order and why she did it and that kind of thing. Um, and then the, this Mortis episode to kind of help. Uh, fill the gap a little bit about Anakin and uh, and the the statues. I guess we can dive into spoilers a little bit now because we're about a half hour in. So yeah, um, we'll go ahead and give people the spoiler warning now and let them you know tune out if they so choose. But this is the only warning we're going to give from here on out. It's spoiler territory. I I really enjoyed rewatching that Mortis episode. Because the the balance of light and dark that Anakin is able to strike with the son and the daughter is almost identical to the light and the dark that we see him experiencing in part five. The 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 experience that he has on the bridge where he's got um, certain moments of of a blue hue around him and then certain moments of a red hue around him is so incredibly similar to the balance that he strikes in the arena at the end of overlords. And now that we're seeing this reveal in the season finale of the, you know, Mount Rushmore of the Mortis gods, episode five makes so much more sense to me now. (sighs) Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. And, And Hayden, my God, I mean, the performance he puts in in these episodes is incredible. I mean, easily, I think, his best performance yet because we never in the films and even in Obi-Wan Kenobi, we only got – we either got Anakin or we got Vader. There was no in-between, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I like that this episode really – like there is that one shot near the end of episode – five where it's him literally on camera transitioning from vader to anakin just with his facial expressions and you understand how in that moment all the people for years and years and years that went that had all their good jokes about (laughs) hayden christensen such a bad actor how full of bleep those people were <laughs> all <of> these years <laughs> later. Just the fact of how incredible just the facial, but he doesn't even have to say anything, but you can tell 
who he's playing. You can tell if it's Vader. You can tell if it's Anakin. And he transitions from this, this – his face is all crumpled up, and he's got the red eyes. And he just goes back into this easy kind of smirk on his face to Anakin, and it's just like, my god, this guy is so good. And this character is so intriguing, and it's just – it's incredible. And then it's not the only stuff we get from him. We get a lot of Anakin in this show, which is just freaking fantastic. A lot more than I was anticipating. Like, I thought he might make a cameo. I didn't think he would be in an entire episode and then have other cameos on top of it. Because, I mean, technically, he makes a cameo at the end of four. He's in all of five. And then is it six or seven where she's doing the training episodes and he's in a hologram form? I think it's it's six, isn't it? I think it's I think okay so six is all on Peridia with the other gang and then seven we cut back to them as the beginning of seven I think where because that yeah. was last week's episode yeah so um, so in 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 one of those she's doing training videos that he is teaching her right. and so he's in that and then obviously he's in like a, a very brief facial appearance the, the at the last end of shot eight. of the show is him mm-hmm He's he's there at the very, very end as well. And so he's basically more or less in half of the show, which I think was a lot more than anyone was anticipating. And even and, more so, we got like people talking about him. We got mm-hmm. Sabine, I think, mentions him in this episode. We get that great conversation between Huang and Hera talking about him. We get Ahsoka in the early episodes talking about Anakin so there's this running theme, and then we get the great speech with Ahsoka in this latest episode of mm-hmm. him talking about it. He always stood by me. That that theme and, and gives him not even when he's on not on screen, it gives that sense of just like his presence there and how much weight he has. And again, and then Thrawn talking about him. And it's like we oh. have that whole history in the books that goes back to Thrawn yep. has this relationship with Anakin, and he's like, Oh crap, this is the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker. I am screwed. <laughs> Man, there are so many great acting performances in this show. Like, I I kind of wanted to to, to dedicate an entire segment to Ray Stevenson as well, because yeah. he's he's no longer with us. But what a lasting impact that man left. Um, we'll we'll circle back to him in a second. But Lars Mikkelsen, oh my gosh, and the guy the screen the screen time scenery. that he got. The screen time that he got, he made the freaking most of it. When he gets that pad with the information on Ahsoka that he asks for, and he starts going over it and then looks up, this guy is the tactician that tries to think three, four steps ahead. Everybody uses the analogy that he is um, playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. Well, people like Anakin and Ahsoka are just shooting nerf darts at your chessboard. Okay, like they're not even playing chess. They're just kind of toppling the pieces over when they freaking feel like it. And so when he looks up and and recognizes what he is up against, it's the facial expressions for me. Those are things that you don't get in the books. But to, to see his recognition that this is going to be a problematic situation, it is so good. It is so, so good. And then his terms of things like acceptable losses or something like that. Um, 
those those are those are the things that a tactician would say when he knows he's beat but he doesn't want to admit it and so there's definitely vulnerabilities to his character that we really haven't experienced all that much before and Lars Mikkelsen portrays all of that so so well he makes the transition so so well and it's it's so so fun to watch yeah that's the thing about the fact that we have Lars Mikkelsen and he is someone who he's been playing this character for years and years and he's already played him and he voiced him and I think it's it it's not an easy feat to go from voice acting to on-screen acting. Um not a lot of actors can do it. <clears throat> there's a lot of there's a lot of I mean there's a a good portion of this cast who are new cast members are playing characters that were previously played by voice actors. And I think we all have different opinions. And even I was struggling with some of those choices. They're just like, why couldn't you, why couldn't you just get Vanessa Marshall to play her? Like, what's, what's the deal with that? Um, right, and then right. like, I'm watching this show. I'm being like, okay, I, I get, I get it. Like, I'm still kind of in that camp, but I'm also like Mary Elizabeth Winstead is really great. Like she's really great in that role. And I'm kind of buying her in that. Um, but having Lars here, is just like, oh man, no one else can do this. This is great. And just the gravitas that he has. And I think it just the, the voice obviously does have a lot to do with it, but he can do so much with so little. And I think that's important for a character like Thrawn. He's not someone who is going to be about this physicality. He's not going to have a lightsaber duel with Ahsoka at the end. He's no. not going to have a fist fight with somebody. He's not going to be screaming at the top of his lungs and having these big things. He's always going to be measured in things, and it always has to be this thing where it's the those those looks and those the just the small tone of his voice. He does so much with so little, and I think that's what's important about Thrawn is that he is this very measured, withdrawn character, and that's what makes him interesting. And he's not a bruiser. He's not a fighter. He's a tactician. He's a smart guy. He's the smartest person in the room. And man, does he prove it? Well, and what's funny is he he knows that he's not a fighter and knows how to manipulate others to do the fighting for him. He he calls on the great mothers. He calls on Morgan. He 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 calls on Enoch. He'll call on anybody except taking the responsibility himself. And I, I think that is part of the the gravitas that you mentioned. That, that, that's a good word for it. Is he doesn't like to get his hands dirty. He likes to tell other people to get their hands dirty, but he won't get his hands dirty. And I and I think one of the greatest ironies, and it's so dumb, but one of the biggest ironies of his character is that neckbeards have been calling for years for this man to be the live action Thrawn. They're saying, oh, it can't be anybody else. <laughs> and then those exact same ones are roasting the hell out of him because he's got a COVID gut. And I'm oh, like, God, the, the man is pushing 60. I think he's what 58 or something like that. Like he's also, not, he's not going to be in perfect condition. Also, he's, he's not even that fat. <laughs> he's not. He, no. Like, he's very 
gracefully like he's playing he's an older guy and he's playing let's face it an older version of thrawn he's an older than yes. the last time we saw him he's at least 10 years yeah. old than the last time we saw him of course he's not and what were you expecting were you expecting like this size two waist of an animated character like come on he's very and if you look at the costuming and how he's presented yes he's not the smallest person but also it's very graceful he looks great for someone his age doing that and he's great i'm sorry you know it's one thing making you know it's like oh he doesn't look quite like animation like of course he doesn't of course he doesn't no he stop doesn't. doing that no he doesn't but to, to 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 echo what you were saying about some of the other acting that goes on here i have very few complaints about any of the acting that was done in this show i i think some of the bigger complaints that i may have would be something like not getting to know enough about some of the characters i wanted a little more jason sandula you know sure i i i wanted a little bit more um who who was who was the fella that was um everybody was guessing was star killer and then he turned out oh, to be nobody. Oh, you're talking about um, you're talking about good old Merrick. Merrick, yeah. I, I I wanted to see a little more of him, but then turned out we didn't need him. I wanted to learn a little bit more about Enoch, and we didn't really learn anything new about Enoch. So that's probably where some of my biggest qualms are. Is just um, I wanted a little more character exposition i didn't i didn't necessarily think he was going to be star killer but i also thought that there had to be a reason why he would be one of the last surviving inquisitors in this age you know what i mean so right. like there was more to that story that could be told and it wasn't so i think that's my biggest qualm more than anything is uh, give me a little bit more of them. Give me a little bit more of Senator Ziono so that I can hate his guts <laughs> just a little bit more. But oh my gosh, what kind of a deep cut is that that you're going to put a New Republic senator who makes like a glorified cameo in a TV show that got canceled after two seasons? You know, like that is a really deep cut for the super fans who actually muscled their way through resistance <laughs> and saw his son star in that show. And I, I don't know, like now people are, are sitting there going, man, I really hope that he went into work the day Hosni and prime got blown up. And I'm like, <laughs> same though. Um, it, so it's, it's a, it's, it's so funny. that's a, I mean, that's, that's the, the genius of Dave Filoni and the fact that why the show is so good, I think is, is, is just that, that Dave Filoni touch of this guy could have been anybody. He could just have been a random character, could have been a new character. And for anybody watching the show that hasn't seen resistance, he is a new character, but it's the fact that the people that are paying attention or anybody that after the episode aired, going to Wikipedia and looking up that character knows that's Hamada Ziono. That is the that is the dad of Kazuna Ziono from Star Wars yep. Resistance, and yep. that whole thing, and it matches completely perfectly with his characterization in 
Resistance. Because I think in the first episode of Resistance, you meet him. He's in a blurry hologram, and he's like, yep. Azuta's like, hey, I'm working with the Resistance. I'm with Leia Organa. And he's like, those terrorists? Like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, of course. And then you see like this of just like Leia like through the grapevine, through 3PO, screwing him over. And you're like, of course he hates Leia in the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course he thinks the Resistance thinks because he's probably a plant. And then there was a recent video from Star Wars Explained, which basically like implicated him and said like, oh, well, he wasn't on Hosnian Prime during the uh, during uh, the Force Awakens. I wonder why that is. That's suspicious, isn't it? Somebody conveniently told him not to be there. And see that. No, I'm not. I'm not going to harp on Episode Nine too terribly much. But it would have been so much better if he was the spy. You know. <laughs> I mean, we. I mean, we don't know his fate. So it, we we uh, it could could easily come back around. Who knows. Um, I do. I do. Speaking of episode nine, I love the whole line of Ezra going. Uh, so the emperor's dead. So that's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved the the little recap that they tried to do. And and honestly, I I was a little bit upset when I found out that Mina Masood did not get cast as Ezra. Same. But now that I have seen uh Eman is Fondi, is that his name? I believe that's I'm going to go with that pronunciation for the for the time being. <laughs> Just for now because I don't want to potentially butcher it even further. I'm going to have to look up a clip of him saying his name, but there's unfortunately like there's no interviews anywhere mm-hmm. with this guy because right. of the strike. So um Right. But yeah, now that I've seen Asfandi in the role, I'm totally fine with it. He absolutely crushed it. Um, I will say the the only like, quote unquote, complaint that I would have would be with Morgan Elspeth. I never got on board with her character. And and I don't think it has anything to do with Diana Lee Inosanto. I, I think it has everything to do with the type of character she was meant to be for this show. She was the one who was asking Thrawn questions so that he could extrapolate on his plan to the audience. I, I I don't think she was meant to be anything more than a plot device to be used for other characters' gains. I I felt nothing during any of her conflicts, during any um, of her interactions. Uh, I didn't feel like excited for her when she got promoted to the sisterhood and had the ash on her face and got um, her new weapon. Like I felt nothing for her character and felt no sense of elation or disappointment when her character died. Yeah, she's not my favorite character out of things, but I do I I do appreciate the continuity. It feels like. It feels like Filoni had a plan, even going back to season two, of just like, okay, we have Morgan Elsbeth. She's going to show up in this episode, and then she can be the harbinger that brings Thrawn to the galaxy and be this person. But also, you know, I'm, I say it, no disrespect to the actress, but like, I'm kind of glad she's dead. I'm kind of glad she's just like, she served her purpose. She's gone now. There'll be room for things. I think Thrawn kind of always needs, and you see her do this later in the season. Because if you remember, people have read the Empire. Thrawn is always got to have like a fall guy. Has to be kind of has to have a kind mm-hmm. of a guy there to question him at every turn. In so the that books. he can 
show him up and shut him up, basically. Right. In the books, it's Paleon. Paleon obviously is his right hand man. Paleon is in the galaxy. They're gonna they're they're best buddies now because they're back together. But like he's he's number one Thrawn fan. But like Paleon is not necessarily doing it from a a questioning things. He's just like, well, why'd you do that? Because that's a conventional to kind of portray in this thing. Morgan Elsbeth served that role and. Now she's gone, and though I'm sure Paleon will be back, we'll get the standard pairing of Paleon and Thrawn, which is kind of the the Sherlock to his Watson, in a, in a sense. Well, and he was part of that small council that Gideon was interacting with at the tail end of Mando season uh, three, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was. He was. He was there saying like, "Oh, he, Thrawn's return is imminent." And people were talking online and being like, okay, where, how does Paleon know? And I think the big answer was just like Paleon and Morgan Elsbeth had to be communicating, I think, because right. they were getting the – she was getting the dreams from the Night Sisters, and she was probably informing Paleon, and there was this whole thing. It's weird that Paleon wasn't in the show at all, but I guess it just wasn't room for him. Oh, he's going to be there. He, like like we, we're, we're basically saying that the way things ended, he's he's back in the known Star Wars universe now. Which means he he he's about to do something, but the show ended before we could see what he did. And some friends of mine made a pretty good point that in some aspects, this season finale almost feels like what you would get in a mid-season finale from network television. Like, they're going to go on break for a couple of months and then we'll come back and, you know, finish the story that was being told. But this is actually the season finale. This is it. And... We're going to have to wait to figure out what happens next. And just based on how many loose threads there are and and how much there is to tie up there, there almost has to be a second season in order to to answer the questions that they left behind here in episode eight. I think I think this show in particular is a is kind of a warning sign from Filoni and, and, a, and a message of being like you thought this universe was just going to be kind of this one and done thing. We're going to have these you know, spinoff shows and, you know, Mandalorian was very self-contained or whatever else. And it kind of blew out. And then the most recent season kind of focused it back in on just Amanda and Grogu. I think this show is just like, okay, this is going to keep expanding. Like we have massive mm-hmm. things. Now we, we ended up with like Ahsoka was like taking what was left over from rebels and like trying to tie up the loose end there with Ezra. Now we have there's huge this is just you know blooming out into this huge storyline where now we have stuff going on in the original Star Wars galaxy and we have a lot of stuff going on Peridia. We have many characters yep. who we're very invested in. I think, you know, Ray Stevenson, I loved his performance. Um I I would be hard pressed to see a way for them not to just recast him. I think that's probably what's going to happen because it feels like oh yeah, ba- it feels like Balin's story has just begun, and the same with Shin. oh yeah, and I think with Ahsoka and Sabine, it's obviously going to be like I don't think they're going to be stuck there forever, but they're going to be stuck there for a while. I think there's going to be a lot going on, and I think you know I think Filoni's movie is probably way down the line. I think they have a lot to do. In between now and then, and we'll just have to wait and see. But it's it's not going to be wrapped up anytime soon. Okay, do we do we want to do that theorizing now while we're kind of in that groove? We can. I mean, I got I got some theories. 
<laughs> I haven't had a ton of time to think about them, but here we are. So, no, I mean, I, they're not typed out in the show notes. We're going to be going off of the cuff for this next little bit here. But um, just based on some of the videos that I have watched of other people's reactions and some of the stuff that I am seeing on social media, um, there's there's probably a couple of different theories out there as far as what's going to happen next. And I'm really not opposed to any of them. So one of the, one of the leading theories, obviously we saw the wide panning shot of the faces that are carved into the side of the mountain on Peridia. And we very, very obviously see the father. We very, very obviously see the son, but the head of the daughter is missing. Right. We also see Anakin's force ghost. And back in Clone Wars season three, there was a prediction. There was a prophecy that the chosen one would come to bring balance between the light and the dark. The chosen one's force ghost is now on Peridia. I don't see that as a coincidence. I don't see that as him just checking in on Ahsoka. I feel I... like there's there's some intentionality to that. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And, and that's the whole thing is just like. You have to go back to those Mortis episodes. Like the first episode of the Mortis trilogy is the father going to Anakin, going like, I'm dying. You're the chosen one. I proved it, and you're going to take my place. And Anakin's yeah. like, no, and he doesn't. But then by the end, there's n all of them are dead. And so and Anakin goes back to what he was because he was, of course, destined to do all those things in the known galaxy but mm -hmm. what happens now? Now that he's one with the Force, now that he's hanging around, he's in Peridia. We have Balin doing this thing. We have Shin there. We have Ahsoka, who, you know, was brought back to life by the daughter. And also, Morai, who's been following Ahsoka around for all these years, showed up in this episode, finally. We see that mm -hmm. one shot of little owl in the background that kind of flies off, and I think Ahsoka recognizes yep. that. So oh, yeah. there's a lot of more stuff going on. And they're also someone. Oh, yeah. Someone uh, took. There's a shot. I have a screenshot of it. I'll have to share it. Um, but basically, there's a shot on Mortis of Anakin looking at the mountain with the beacon on top of it, and mm -hmm. they replicated the exact shot with Balin looking off into the valley, and there's a beacon in the in the distance, and people are saying like, "Okay, something's going on here. Something, there, there's 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 a lot of Mortis stuff." And if you remember, if you remember the original script for the ep episode nine, Duel of the Fates was going to be all about Mortis. And I think maybe we're finally getting some fruition of that. Maybe finally they're coming back around and going like, OK, now we're going to do something to Mortis. Now we're going to do something. We had it teased in Rebels. Now we're going to finally go all in on this. What is the deal with Peridia and how does that tie in with Mortis? So after just watching Overlords. Um, the father says that the place that they're living in, the sanctuary, is the only place where he can contain his children. And so it's very, very possible that Peridia is where they lived before he sentenced his family to exile. Oh, and, I like that, yeah. And what he created is a replica of where they used to live, which is why the beacon looks very similar on Peridia to the one that you see in Overlords. And so I, I think Peridia is where the family once lived before we see them in the Mortis trilogy. That's cool. that's just 
That's just my working theory. Jesse's theory in the chat says that the head broke during the Mortis arc is my theory, at least. And I'm guessing the Balin may have visited Mortis and that's where he got his mindset. I, I, you know, I like to believe that Balin has experienced the metaphysical because his character is looking beyond the scope of good and evil, which is exactly what Mortis is all about. It's a very, um, it's a very outsider's view looking at something that is very black and white and trying to examine the gray that's right in between. I just don't know if he actually had the opportunity to visit Mortis itself or if there is just something from Peridia that is so strong in the Force that much like what we see in the Mortis trilogy, he is feeling that presence he is feeling that that compelling nature of the force that emanates from those beings even long after they're gone um i just i i don't know if the the performance that we got from stevenson exudes that he has actually been to mortis it feels more like curiosity rather than firsthand experience yeah and i'm also I've been reading a lot of discourse on on the X, as you do, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have been going back and forth about this, and some people – a lot of people have seemingly taken Balin's thing standing on – literally standing on the the father's outstretched arm as confirmation that he will be the father. He will be the new father, and and I agree with you and a lot of other people that have said that in, in – in, contrast to that to basically say like okay but anakin was supposed to be the father and i think that can be right. happening his presence being there with ahsoka on peridia could be anakin could be the harbinger that brings them into that he's already in the force maybe he's been to Morris. right maybe he's out doing all kinds of crazy existential force things out in the universe and he's the one that's going to be kind of the informant for this and that would be great i'm wondering mm-hmm. you know people are saying like okay well who's the son you know Who's going to be the son? Um, and no, I don't think Starkiller is going to come back and be the son. I don't think that's going to happen. Jeez. Oh, um, look, I love Starkiller, but put that to rest now. Um, I maybe let it Balin. go. Let it go. <laughs> but maybe Balin will be the son. Yes. Maybe that would be the thing. He is the yes. dark. He's he's a. You know, Ahsoka is obviously becoming more like a Jedi. He's tipping more towards the darkness. Yes. I think he would be more fit for – and then Anakin being the one who in this show we see go back and forth. And it's debatable yes. if Anakin – if that was really Anakin, it was a vision of Anakin. I kind of lean towards it being a vision of Anakin, but we know that Anakin has been on both sides. Regardless of the vision, he's been Vader. He's been Anakin. He can kind of be in the middle and try to keep the balance. He's literally the balance keeper. Makes sense. Right. Yeah, no, I I never saw Balin becoming the father. I, I, I never got that vibe well, from Don't him. say that stuff on Twitter, okay? They'll come after you. <laughs> I mean, they come after me when I talk about attendance numbers at Tampa Bay Rays baseball games. They'll come after you about everything. You can just breathe on Twitter or X or whatever it's called, and people will come after you. How dare yeah. he? Yeah, they'll they'll always come after you. Um, so I've just I've just given up. You know, I don't reply. 
I'll post my thoughts. People can reply, but I don't reply back. Like 90% of the time, I 95% of the time, I just don't reply. And then I'm you, like, see, you, know what? Like, I'm, you I'm, see a blue check mark behind their name, and it's like, oh, yeah, you're doing this just to get money, aren't you? Huh? I, know, I know how this mm-hmm. I know how this, this game goes now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just I choose not to engage. I post my thoughts, and if people want to read my thoughts, great. If they want to comment on my thoughts, great. But I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick up that tug of war rope and try to pull at something that you clearly want to pull at. I just I have no interest in that. So good attitude. Um, but I do I do think that we're going to eventually get a new balance of Mortis, and hopefully that kind of brings a little bit more balance to the universe itself. And here's the interesting tie-in to maybe um episode nine because people thought that because um ahsoka's voice is part of all of those voices that ray hears when she faces palpatine that maybe that means she's quote-unquote dead but if she's a part of the force beings maintaining the balance and anakin is a part of that triad as well it would make sense to hear both of their voices encouraging her when she's facing the darkness. That's also true. That's also true. I I like that idea. And I think just like back in the day, we were watching the Clone Wars and everyone was like, when's Ahsoka going to die? Because obviously she's going to have a very painful, gruesome death because she's not in Revenge of the Sith. And that's that's the only way she can be taken out of the picture is if she mm-hmm. dies. Mm-hmm. And then going through that and going like, no, there is a third option. There always is. And then watching the wrong Jedi and going like, oh my gosh, this is the answer we've all been waiting for. And no, she's yep. not dead. Yep. And then going further and just being like, okay, well, she's got to die sometime. Not really. No, she doesn't have to die. There, there's, there's an, there's always option C. And I think Filoni's much too clever just to have her die a, a, you know, a, sacrifice herself in some meaningful way. Um, that could happen, but I think he has a plan. He knows what he's doing. I think he cares a lot about Ahsoka. I know a lot of jokes have been made. A lot of people have a lot of things to say about Ahsoka. And yes, he is maybe a little too obsessed with the character at times. But at the same time, he knows what he's doing. He knows his character better than anyone. And I think he's the best fit for taking her into the future and, you know, giving her, whenever that be, be wherever that may be, a send off into another universe or wherever Mortis is. To infinity and beyond. <laughs> no, sorry. I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't help myself. Um, Steven Schinder in the chat a few moments ago said that the statues slash Mount Rushmore that I was looking at, they kind of look like the ones from uh, Lord of the Rings. I what do you the same thing? What do you what do you make of, you know, having some Lord of the Rings uh, impressions and, and feelings? And then you mentioned um, the, the C.S. Lewis connotations. Part eight is literally called the Jedi, the witch and the warlord. Which is a spoof on the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Like, all the way down to the titling of it, there there are so many things that the creatives are getting inspiration from, and I am here for it. I, that was, that's an incredible, all the titles have been great. That title was 
incredible. And um, I love that it wasn't because obviously like the Lord of the Rings connections have been there with Ahsoka for a very long time. It's been pretty painfully oh, yeah. obvious. Oh, that yeah. Ahsoka Filoni the White. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Filoni is a big Tolkien head. And like that's a whole thing. And I, I, I love that. I love that, you know, you know, the Lord of the Rings is this huge thing that's been around a very, very long time. And it's a huge staple in fantasy. It, I mean, is quite frankly like the, the the baseline for fantasy in regards to like people think of fantasy, they think of Lord of the Rings first. And I think going off of that and going like, yeah, let's embrace this. Like George Lucas was very open about how he was influenced by a great many things that he grew up watching and reading. Um, Filoni is no different. Um, and I love that this this show in particular feels the most Lord of the Rings um, from not just the Ahsoka, the white, you know, her literally quote unquote dying and then coming back as and falling off a falling and then ending up on a bridge and having a duel and then coming back and wearing white clothes a la Gandalf. Um, you know, it's also just the, the big broad strokes of, you know, this, this whole, this whole black sequence, the, the Peridia, planet reminds me of like new zealand where they shot lord of the rings um yep. so it's it's very much in that same vein um i'm glad they're leaning into it i'm glad we're still getting that and you know i don't know where it's gonna go from here but i think i am all oh. in on high fantasy star wars oh i'm i've got plenty of places i can go <laughs> um talking about peridia and and talking about um the 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 mount rushmore the statues the father is pointing. He's not just standing. He is pointing to something. Have you seen any of the speculation of what he could be pointing to? I don't believe I have, so I'm very curious. Well, you said that in the distance there was some sort of a spire, right? See, I didn't notice this, but I saw a screen cap of someone on Twitter saying, oh, there's a beacon in the distance. A beacon. Some, a like beacon. something on top of the mountain, I think. Okay. So some of the um, deep threads, some of the the subsets of different socials have been trying to speculate on one thing in particular that I don't know how I feel about it. A lot of me wants to feel excited, but a lot of me also feels like this will never, ever happen. Mm. So when it comes to the Mortis family, we have a father, we have a son, and we have a daughter. But conveniently, throughout the entire storyline, there has been one particular member of this non-traditional family that could make it a more traditional family, if you get my meaning. The speculation on certain parts of social media is that the father is pointing towards some sort of edifice that contains the mother. And Okay, I think I know where this is going. For those of you that read the Legends books, there is a mother figure that comes into play that presents quite the threat. To the rest of the galaxy. I don't know if they're going that direction, though. A part of me feels like they could, 
But what do you think about the possibility that the reason Thrawn is so anxious to leave Peridia and part of the reason why the Mortis family went away from Peridia and exiled themselves on Mortis was to get away from the mother figure who in the fate of the Jedi novels is known as Abeloth. Yeah, that's, it's so funny. It's so funny that speaking of comparing conversations uh, in Star Wars fandom now, comparing them to back in the day, because I remember a time when Dave Filoni was like one of the most hated people on the internet. Okay, I remember. I remember when, if you were if you were watching Clone Wars when Clone Wars was on air, Filoni was not a popular figure among Star Wars fans. Okay, he was known mm -hmm. as the destroyer of the EU. He was the guy who everyone pinned all of their grievances against any time the Clone Wars stepped all over the expanded universe. And there was plenty of instances when it did, and we know why. It's because George Lucas was not a big fan of the EU, um, or at least didn't really care about upholding that continuity. Um, but George Lucas wasn't opposed to taking stuff from the EU, and Filoni has more than proven he's not opposed to doing that. And I think going with Abeloth, I think, is totally a Filoni move. I could see that happening so much because I think – I think from a storytelling point of view, it can't just be that, oh, we're going to go out and me, uh, you know, Ahsoka and Anakin and Balin, they're going to go out into the wilderness of Peridia and they're going to find the entrance to Mortis and they're going to reestablish the balance and they're going to become the father, son, and daughter again. It can't just be that. That's too cookie cutter and it's too simple. It has to be something else. And I think. There's something powerful out there. There's someone powerful out there. We know the father, son, and daughter are no longer around, but who else is left? And what didn't we know about the Mortis? You know, the Mortis gods mm -hmm. and that their whole thing. Um, setting it up with father, son, and daughter, well, what if there's a mother? And, you know, what is that all about? And what kind of threat is this? And I like the idea that, you know, this could easily be a threat for the here and now on Peridia. It could also be a threat that comes into play years down the road. We have currently in the process, we have a movie that's set 25,000 years in the past with the Dawn of the Jedi movie, whatever it's going to be called by James Mangle. We have the New Republic versus, you know, Air of the Empire movie by Dave Filoni. Then we have the Ray Skywalker movie that we don't really know what it's going to be. We All we know is the Ray Skywalker movie. But what if what's introduced here and now on Peridia plays into this? And what if, hypothetically, you know, it could mean that Ray has to deal with Abeloth at some point? You know, what if that's the next big threat yep. after they take down the First Order? It really, you can't throw anything out because literally anything is possible. I always go back to I never thought Luke Skywalker would show up in The Mandalorian. So I certainly am not going to write off anything just because I don't think it's possible. Nothing is impossible. 
Well, okay, I'm, I'm going to do a couple of things here for the fans who aren't familiar with who she is and what she does and what she represents and stuff. And I'm going strictly off of some Wikipedia articles and some comments that I have taken screenshots of from Twitter. So please take all of this with as much of a grain of salt as you feel possible. But I, I'm very much in a similar camp to you with the speculation about the Mangle movie, the Ray movie, all of it possibly having threads that can tie together because the Mortis gods exist outside of time and space in the overlords episode. He, he talks about how they exist beyond a temporal realm. They, they are outside of time and space in, in this obelisk that they live in. And so it's entirely possible that the origins of the force date all the way back to their force manipulation on Peridia thousands of years ago. And they could, very well be the characters or their descendants or something similar to them could be the primary characters of Mangold's force origin film in the heyday of Peridia when it was in its prime and people worshipped them as gods because of their ability to manipulate the force. And, and then you take yeah. a look at at their departure and why did they depart? What happened to this planet? Why is it so strong with the force and yet also so desolate and full of, of raiders and scavengers and nomads? Something had to have happened there. And it's entirely possible that Abeloth was the thing that happened there. And it's made very clear in this show because, I mean, this show, I mean, you really can – there's a lot of stuff that's just in the dialogue and in what's going on here that you can tie to literally every corner of the Star Wars universe in every time period because obviously we're coming after the Galactic Civil War. There's obviously – you know from the original trilogy, there's connections to the prequels with Anakin. There's obviously set up for the sequel trilogy, but then we have – when you go to Peridia, you have Balin specifically talking about the the Jedi Temple spoke of these things, spoke of star whales and travels to other galaxies and all this stuff. And this whole thing with, you know, that there is this ancient past that like with the real ancient past of our world, it's not always clear what happened. And, and, you know, it's, it's all based on kind of, stories and stuff and you know balin is like i love his reaction to that not only is it just perfectly acted by ray stevenson it is also this whole thing of him going like this is as he says dreams and madness this is fairy tales i've read fairy tales about this place and here i am standing in it this is crazy and that just goes to show just like how crazy Peridia is as a concept and as a world and what does that mean and you can easily draw connections from all the movies to Ahsoka to everything else and I would like to think and like I said strange things have happened that this is all part of the plan that this will absolutely be all these movies and all these TV shows will be connected either in small ways or maybe huge ways to, to further this theory and and to piggyback a little bit more of what you said, um, one of the episodes of Ahsoka is titled Dreams and Madness. And at the end of the finale, Sabine mentions something in the distance as shadow and starlight. 
Dreams yes. and Madness and Shadow and Starlight are both phrases used in legends when somebody is mystically and and imaginatively finding ways to describe the Abeloth figure. Oh, really? So it could very well be right in the script, right in the titles, that they are alluding to her presence. And one of the nicknames that she is given from her followers is Beloved Queen of the Stars. Oh, yeah. So I mean, there's a lot there. There, there are there are a lot of things that are alluding to it, but not outright confirming it. And and that's where I struggle because if I had the same problem with the with the sequel trilogy. I I had tons of speculation. We stayed up till all hours of the night speculating what would happen in episode eight after our discussion of episode seven. (laughs) And then episode none of us were right was nothing like what we speculated. Nobody was right about what happens in episode eight. And when my expectations weren't met, I got pissed off. Like, that's that's the fact of it. Like, I have come to terms with it. And I still have qualms with the movie, but none of them relate to what my expectations were. Like when I was initially mad at the movie, it was because it wasn't meeting my predictions and my expectations. And so I'm trying really hard not to dive too deep into believing that Abeloth is going to be the thing that ties everything together. But when you look at all of those threads and all of the possibilities that it could tie things together – it makes for something really interesting. But I also feel like that meme from Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> oh, the conspiracy theory meme with all of those threads and all of those pictures. I feel like all of this is like one giant conspiracy theory episode. And I just I don't want to be that podcast that says this is for sure going to happen. This is the way it's going to be. This is who to expect and when to expect her. I think it would be really cool to introduce something like that. And I think it would make perfect sense for somebody as as meticulous and tactical as Thrawn to recognize when he's overmatched on a planet that is consumed with Abeloth's darkness. You saw how eager he was to leave this planet. I'm sure it was for good reason. He had been there longer than he wanted to, and when he had an opportunity to take off, he did it without hesitation. And I think yeah. I think that's for a damn good reason. Yeah, and there's also we see the power of the Night Sisters, but then they're yep. eager to leave too. Balin picks mm-hmm. up on that, and he's like, they're running from something. They don't just want to leave this planet because yep. they're stranded here, because there is people there. There's civilization there. It's not right. just complete things. There you have you have the, the little turtle people. You have the marauders. Like it's not it's not a paradise. Right. It's not a place you want to hang out per se. But there is stuff there, and there's probably other plants in the area too. But the night sisters want the hell out of there. And why is that? And Balin's mm-hmm. like, there's something here. There there's there's stuff going on, and there's power here, and he's after that. And I I love that. I, obviously. I I don't know if I think Balin's whole quest is not the best thing to be doing. I think it could easily end with Balin being like a Indiana Jones villain where he finds what he's looking for and it melts his face. 
but um you know it also could mean something more altruistic in a sense of he has a greater purpose and just Balin just I could brag on Balin all night just like how great of a character he is how much he is a bad guy does do some bad things but also has a code of honor he doesn't really want to see want to kill Ahsoka he doesn't kill Ahsoka and maybe that's maybe that's by design but also the way he treats Shin is also kind of good but also kind of bad and he's not He's not totally into the whole Empire thing, which is why he just walks away from it. He could have easily gone with Thrawn and been like his right-hand man, but he, mm-hmm. he abandons mm-hmm. Thrawn. He doesn't care about the Empire. Um, so I like the idea of him like maybe a little bit altruistically, but also selfishly going after power, seeking that power. And what does that mean? Well, and I think you're you're very – Right in the sense that whatever he finds is not going to be what he expected it to be. He He's going to be very unpleasantly surprised whenever he finally discovers what it was he was searching. It's not going to be what he thought. And I, I'm kind of excited to see what that looks like because um, it's 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 very it's very fascinating to to see someone exploring something that is meta and and not very easy to describe and when you finally find it you realize the reason it's indescribable is because there is just nothing in the human vernacular that can accurately describe what you're experiencing and it could be in a really good way or it could be in a really bad way and i i expect it'll be in a bad way right so that's just that's just my thought um yeah one one final thought on Abeloth before we we switch gears because there is another theory about um, Thrawn that I wanted to touch on as well. Um, in the legends, Abeloth harnesses an avatar in order to execute her plans, in order to take on oh, a physical form. Okay. And the reason I sent you a couple of pictures is because there are there are some sections that believe that. Shin could end up becoming the avatar for Abeloth. That's why she still has a purpose. That's why she never got killed off. It is because once Balin discovers what it is he's looking for, his path with Shin may cross again in order for her to take on the physical form of whatever he's trying to unleash. I that obviously they have a purpose there. I, I think what Soka says near the end, she's like where we need to be. And I yep. think that also goes for Balin and Shin. And yes. I think Shin also intrigues me. I was just like, she had an opportunity to go and be with the empire and be, you know, the things And I, I thought that would be like, Oh yeah, you have the, the whole thing going back to legends, the door Joris Sabayoth thing of Thrawn using force users to his bidding. Um, he seems this version of Thrawn seems very sworn off of force users. He's just like, I've been screwed over by these guys uh, too many times. I don't want any part of this. But Shin doesn't want any part of it either. She stays there, too. She could have gone with them and she didn't. So what is her purpose? Um, I like that idea. I saw those pictures you sent me. Adoloth has blonde hair. She has blonde hair. It's 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 there, OK? I'm not saying yeah. I am not saying that's the way it's gonna go, but damn it, if the if the 
stars aren't aligning here. Well, and you, for all I know, may be sitting there going, oh, my God, this dude, when is he going to shut up about this? Oh, can we please talk <laughs> about something else? This is not the way that it's going to go. And I'm just I'm just pandering to you. So you'll shut the hell up and talk about something else. Look, I am egging um, you on, if anything. I'm I'm like going all out with this. I'm fully bought in. Steven says, I don't think they'll go full Abeloth, but I'm not ruling out that they might reveal some sort of mother figure, but I'm not betting everything on it. I'm not in- interested in people speculating with this show. People will run with what they know from Legends or from Tolkien, but sometimes it can seem like a reach and be too confining. Um I, I I agree to a certain extent, Stephen, that over speculating and then over committing to these things being statement of fact can be dangerous. There are plenty of channels out there that, that will say this is fact. This is going to happen. This is the way it's going to be. I am not saying that in the slightest. But I will say. I think I'm having more fun theorizing what's going on in this cinematic universe than what I had with theorizing stuff from the sequel trilogy. The sequel trilogy, if you really, really think about it, was relatively confining because they had to keep it to a certain certain type of characters with a certain type of name and a certain type of lineage. And the only thing you could really speculate on was whether that character was going to be redeemed or if that character was going to die. There there was such a, a rather limited scope as far as what you could speculate. And with this Filoni-verse, Favreau-verse, Mando-verse, whatever you want to call it, not only are there inklings of stuff that will connect to that sequel trilogy, so it's not like separating itself entirely. There are things that tie into it and connect to it directly. But on top of that, you can also speculate about these new characters like Balin and Shin. You can also speculate about characters who have cheated death probably countless times like Ahsoka. We no longer have to theorize whether Ahsoka is going to live or die. We're going to theorize what's going to happen to her next. We get to theorize what's going to happen to Shin now that she is a lone wolf. We get to theorize you know, just how much of a Jedi is... Sabine going to become because I think even on certain official websites she is now being listed as a Jedi after the events of what happened in the season finale so I just I feel like there is more to talk about more to speculate about than what I was able to speculate on from the sequel trilogy Ben you can tell me if I'm completely wrong or I'm talking out of my ass but I kind of like the ability to have those conversations and be able to theorize as intently as we have the opportunity to, because I think that's what engages the community. I think that's what gets people talking. I can now talk to my brother-in-law about all kinds of things that I didn't get to talk about before. I can talk to my wife about the things that we've been watching and, and how they might tie into other things and other elements. And I, I just, I haven't gotten a whole lot of that from star Wars recently. And, and it's nice to have that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I obviously, honestly have no rebuttal to anything you're saying here. I think you're kind of right on the money where it comes to like 
love it or hate it, the sequel trilogy was kind of on rails. Like it could only do yes. certain things. Yes. And it did a lot of things right. It did a lot of things wrong, in my opinion. Right. And ultimately, right. it kind of ended up being like, well, it, it was only going to end in a certain place. Like, obviously, I never expected that ending. I never expected a lot of things that happened in the sequel trilogy. And it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it definitely didn't lend, lend itself to like – you know, you know, like some of the biggest like curveballs we got were like was like, oh, who is Snoke and whatever else It's like, oh, he's just Snoke or oh, he's just a puppet from Palpatine. Like it really kind of kind of went nowhere. And I think some of the writing probably didn't lend itself too much to like speculation because it was some of it was about like, yeah, let's let's kind of cut that off and, and, and not explore that. So with this. It's not just three movies. That's the thing. It's just like we, with the sequel trilogy, it was just three movies. That's all it was meant to be. It was just meant to be a trilogy. Mm-hmm. This is movies and TV shows and you know maybe books and comics along the ways too. We might get um, a lot of a lot of storytelling and a lot of stuff and in oh, so oh. many places that could go. Dude, we we absolutely need like a Balon origin story book. Oh, hell like yeah. now that now that we don't have Ray Stevenson with us anymore, we need more about his character leading up to these adventures. And even if they recast, I want like what led to him escaping Order 66 and becoming the person that we see in the first episode of this series. Like what leads up to Balon's pursuit that he is chasing so hardly after in this series? And some of the some of the writing for his character and some of the line delivery is just freaking phenomenal. And I can only imagine what that would be like in a book where you get to delve into his thoughts a bit more. You get to delve into other conversations, some of the studying that he's done leading up to this. What kind of ancient texts could he have been searching for and looking through in order to get him to where he is? Um, I truly believe that he was using Morgan Elsbeth. You know, she thought she was just hiring a sellsword, but I I truly think that he was using her as a means to an end as much as Thrawn was. And so there's there's just so much more to his character that I would I would love to get more information on. I'll uh I absolutely I want the Balin Balin Skull book. Give me that. I especially want not the first person to say this. I won't be the last either. Uh, Balin Skull Tales of the Jedi. I would love it. Like, do give me like three vignettes, animated vignettes of like him as a Padawan, who was his master, one of the things. Show what happened to him during Order sixty six, and then do another one like during the Civil War. Find out what he was doing, like what what kind of a bounty hunter, what he is, was he in, and how did he hook up with Shin? Like, right. That's that's a whole there, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And I'm sure, you know, the fact that we don't know that much about him right now and the fact that he's still around because I fully expected him to die in the show. I really did. I thought he was just going to be kind of a one note villain. The fact that he's still around and he's like his journey is just beginning as much as I loved Ray Stevenson. I loved his his performance. And I think he was great. And I, I think any actor that comes along is going to have a humongous shoes to fill. I still think he needed to do it because there's a lot more of this character. He's he's easily one of my favorite villains of all time. And I'm not even sure if I can call him a villain anymore because he's so much more layered than that. 
Oh yeah, he's he, he's he's another one of those gray area characters that has something going for him beyond um beyond certain motivations. And so um it's it's definitely worth looking into. And I mean Jesse makes a good point in the chat. He says, "Do you think that was his Jedi name or did he change it like many others after Order 66?" Steven says, "It does sound kind of made up." Lest we forget, Caleb Doom changed his name to Kanan Jarrus. And, I, love and, I, love, I love the I love the mention of of Kanan and Caleb in this in this episode. This little more last episode, mm, but mm-hmm. that that's also true of just like what's what's going on there. Um, we could find out a lot. There's there's so much there's so much we don't know about Balin that just is so intriguing. Well, and I I, I think I remembered reading somewhere that um the the names have nordic origins here on earth okay so uh i was looking that up as as a few minutes ago i was trying to get the proper thing so this is this is from reddit um two the two this is from this is always this is two apparent villains um the the balin balin skull and shitati they're in i think it's either i think skull or hati or i think it's skull and hati are the names of wolves in North mythology, who are chasing the sun and the moon, and I believe they somehow bring on Ragnarok, not Thor Ragnarok, Ragnarok <laughs> as in the the destruction, Nord- the just the, the the apocalypse, the whole thing. Nordic, um, Nordic destruction. The Nordic, the Nordic depiction of the apocalypse. So, I mean, could that be something of just like? Balin and Shin are out here, and they're chasing something, chasing well, chasing a higher power, and then they end up bringing something with them that is real bad. Well, and that oh man, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stop myself, I'm gonna <laughs> stop myself. But yes, the the name Skull translates loosely into one who mocks, and the name Hati loosely translates into one who hates according to Nerdist. And they are ominous figures that are wolves who chase the sun and the moon in hopes of devouring them. That's what the article I found says. Yeah. So according to Nordic tradition, their names have ties into a, a sequence of mass destruction, which does not bode well for those particular characters, but would also be like some of the best foreshadowing that you could possibly have in the in the sense that yeah we we knew that these characters were trouble from the start and whenever we get a continuation of the storyline it's going to give us something not just impactful but something really like important something big and then steven also continues by saying that balin sounds very similar to the name balin which is one of the dwarves from the hobbit but there's not a whole lot of similarities between those characters, but it could be another one of those um, Tolkien references that Filoni, we were mentioning Filoni, earlier. Filoni doing a Filoni. It could just be that. Very, very possible. Um, we do need to kind of move things along a little bit, but while we're on the topic of Ray Stevenson, let's just pay some homage to what is quite possibly his best performance, period, and quite possibly one of the better star wars performances that we have gotten in the last decade 
the the uh, character, the gravitas, the impact of his line delivery and his choreography and his fighting style, everything from beginning to end was mystery and intrigue and badassery and mystical, and he will be sorely, sorely missed. Yeah, everything from his physicality to how he wielded a lightsaber to his gravitas to just how he said things. You know, he would say one word. Like there's that one moment where, you know, I can't remember what Morgan Elsbeth says. But he oh, he says she says she's because he's kind of lamenting like, oh, I don't want to kill Ahsoka. There's not many Jedi left. And and she's like, oh, you're sentimental. And he's like, no, it's truth. You know, it's it's it, he just says the word truth. But there's so much to it when he says it. And you're like, oh, man, this this is dripping with, you know, he can say so little and get so much out of it. And just an incredible actor. I mean, I think genuinely one of the best performances in all of star wars i'll throw movies and everything in there one of the best performances we've ever seen on screen in star wars um and one of the best performances i've ever seen period um and i i feel so bad that i really didn't appreciate him until he was gone because it, it really like mm. i think this ahsoka really kind of showed because like yeah he was in a Punisher movie and he was in um I think it was Black Sails and he was in the Thor movies and like I don't think any of them really showcased his ability quite like this cuz it's just phenomenal. Well, and he he's always more of a more of a character actor. Like every everything that I I had seen on his profile up until this just described him more as 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 a character driven um actor he's he's not an action star he's not a tom cruise he's not um he's not a sylvester stallone or somebody like that and so um yes he he does know how to have action pieces we see that in the choreography of these fight scenes but the the delivery and the opportunity that he has in this show was going to push him into superstardom Let's be honest. Star Wars is one of those things that can make or break a career. Harrison Ford's career took off because of Star Wars. And I'm not saying he's the next Harrison Ford, but I I think he would have been uh, getting fielding calls from all kinds of production studios and all kinds of companies once the strike ended to be in all kinds of projects because of just how fantastic he was in every scene. He had such a commanding, commanding presence. And it was so great to see. Um, Steven says that in Punisher Warzone, he was an action star, so he can blend both of it. Oh, yeah. But um, a lot a lot of the homages that I had seen were were more were more character driven than action driven. Um, but it wasn't a very mainstream Hollywood film. And so it just didn't get a whole lot of attention. Star Wars being the mainstream product that it is would have definitely pushed him into something more. And yeah. uh it's it's a shame that he's not going to be getting that. But I, I truly hope, I truly, truly hope that when it comes time for any considerations, he's at least nominated for a posthumous award because he definitely deserves it. Oh, yeah. I think uh, 
there needs to be come on best supporting actor emmy come on come on you got emmys don't fail us now he he deserves it so much i'm gonna bring in a a, a quote of the night bring in a little bit of a ah. retro real quick if i may because i know this is a personal favorite of stevens he he commented it and um watching episode six um you you get a lot more of a taste of that gravitas when he's on Peridia, when he's getting closer to achieving his objective, he becomes a little bit more distant and, and a little bit harder to read. And Shin's having a hard time keeping up with him, but he, he talks about the past so much that she finally just outright asks him, do you miss it? The order. And Stevenson's delivery. I'm never going to come anywhere close to this, but he hesitates in the middle of his thought and it was so perfect he goes i miss the idea of it but not the truth the weakness there was no future there oh my gosh oh my gosh the the concept of missing the idea of it he is essentially what you could consider a force agnostic. He doesn't necessarily believe in the light or the dark, but he misses the structure of it. He misses the idea, the idealisms, the possibilities that existed. But none of that is there anymore. And he sees through the lies that they presented and sees that there was a lot of weakness when they were presenting strength. And he's trying to strike the balance in all of that. And so he may not necessarily miss the Jedi, but he misses the idea of there being order in the midst of chaos. And it was just so well delivered, so incredibly well delivered. It was like he was living the flashbacks as he was saying it, but we didn't get to watch it. We only got to watch Ray's line delivery, and it was absolute perfection. Yeah, I also love the interaction he has with um again, small interaction, but it's it's crucial of just um Morgan telling him have faith. And he says, Faith, I lost that a long time ago. I'm just like kind of another <laughs> another just small inkling of his psyche of just this kind of almost nihilist view of the force and you know, very much someone who, you know, kind of lost his way and we, when we have these we've seen these jedi like obi-wan and yoda and all these things kind of went further into the light after order 66 he lost his way he lost everything and you know is not and went further to the darkness i think that's a, again it would be incredible to see on screen or in a book or something like that just that exploration of that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if they do have to recast have you seen any of the recasting speculation, the fans that are saying it should be this person or should be this person? Who who would your pick be if they had to recast Balon? That's a very good question. I I I heard one that I heard that I feel like, okay, this could actually work. Someone said Gerard Butler. And I think that I feel like you kind of have to, you kind of have to go, you know, with obviously like looks, 
kind of has to be a, a, a big guy with a beard that can kind of pull off that physicality, but also someone with some acting chops that can kind of mm-hmm. at least try. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if anyone can can pull it off quite like Ray Stevenson is. Not not like Ray Stevenson was like the most talented actor ever, but just the fact that he what he brought to it was something extraordinary and unique. And I think, or at least I would hope that someone could come along and, and try to extrapolate on that and and do something different with that. But um, there's a lot, I'm sure there's a lot of different actors that could do it. Um, it's going to be an adjustment though, because obviously we, we can't get any more Ray Stevenson and that sucks. It really does. Uh, but I, on the, on the flip side of that and on the positive side of that, I will say it's great that this was his last performance. Like he went on on an absolute high note and that's incredible. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad that he's getting such a great send off. I'm bummed that we're not going to get him moving forward. Um, I've definitely heard the Gerard Butler talks, um, but the the link that I just sent you would probably be my choice. The facial features, for one thing, are absolutely there. I can see but it. But then the 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 acting chops and the the physical um, ability to, to take on action along with the dramatis involved in this character, um, I am leaning towards uh, Liev Schreiber. He played uh, Ray Donovan in the TV series for eighty-two plus episodes, and then he has been in several action type movies but then he's also been in very serious movies he was most recently in asteroid city which is getting a lot of mixed reviews but a lot of them are pretty decent reviews at least those who are catching the vision of of what was presented um but i i think out of all of the the different possibilities that i've heard um I, I do think that he would be one of the one of the front runners. He was actually in um, X Men Origins Wolverine back in the day in two thousand nine, and then uh, he's been in a few other things. Movie forty three would probably be um, one of the one of the big ones. Um, what was what was the other one I saw recently? He he's done some voice work for Isle of Dogs and Into the Spider Verse. He was um, I, he was Kingpin. Kingpin, yeah. He was Kingpin on the Spider-Verse, yeah. But then uh his his big thing from 2013 to 2020 was Ray Donovan. And so uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I think I think he would have the facial features and the acting chops to be able to pull it off, but um whoever they end up getting, like you said, very very big shoes to fill. Absolutely. Okay, um Let's talk about some of the action sequences and the choreography of those action sequences, because we talked at the top of the program how it was kind of a slow burn to start things off. And yet at the end of the pilot episode, Shin and Sabine are having a lightsaber duel and they end up 
clashing swords a couple of times in this series. Right. And the first one, round one, obviously goes to Shin stabbing her right through the midsection. Like, it's kind of hard to um, to say that it's a slow burn when they give you a big action sequence right before the episode ends. It's it's a very it's a very convoluted mixed bag for me at least because I I really really enjoyed that they're trying to hit the ground running, but everything else leading up to that it just felt like we were getting caught up on what's been happening to these characters since the rebels finale. And so like yeah, we get some world building and exposition and then we get some action and choreography but it just i guess it felt a little choppy for me i i don't know it was it was a lot the, the like i said the first couple episodes are there's a lot to take in and it was i don't know it was it was weirdly paced and it was you know just a lot to to work out and a lot of exposition and not i would if I had criticisms of the show, I'd say the, the the exposition was maybe some of it was too little, too late. I think I think the whole conversation that like Huang I alluded to earlier, Huang has a conversation with Ezra about like Ezra like literally says, "What did I miss?" And then Huang's like just <laughs> blatantly explains like, "Oh yeah, they were together, and then her family died, and then Ahsoka was like this." I'm like, "That's great. Where was that like?" seven episodes ago like i i think that was something that really could have come in handy and it would have i think come out of that right out of the gate i think get us a little bit more i think maybe a bit i think the show was like trying to and ask too many questions i think we should have got like give us an answer to a couple questions right off the bat and get us up to speed and, and then tease us out instead of continuing to go further and even with bailey and shin like I know there's more to those characters, but also just the whole idea of just like we get later in the season of Balin going like, no, you're supposed to be something different. You're not supposed to be a Jedi. You're supposed to be something more, better. And right. I'm like, well, you know, I it, it's it's this it's this whole thing of just like, well, you you, you need to go further with that. You need to you need to kind of I, I would have liked to have seen what things now they're split up. We don't know if they're going to come back together. You know, there's all this kind of things open up in the air. I, uh, I don't know. Well, I think it's, it's some very interesting, um, back and forth looking at the progression of Sabine from episode one to episode eight, whereas somebody like Shin kind of stays put. Like she starts off seeming like a bit of a badass when she and and Balon uh, infiltrate the Republic ship. Like they look like badasses there, but I don't necessarily see much growth or improvement in her approach and fighting style from episode one to episode eight. But when you look at Sabine's fighting style in episode one, it's very clunky. It's very rusty. She's very out of practice. But the practice that she gets to put in, the training that she gets from Ahsoka, the things that she learns actually helps her in episodes seven and eight, where she is now a lot more comfortable with the saber. She is a lot more comfortable with her approach and her fighting style. And honestly, one of my favorite fight sequences 
in recent Star Wars comes from Sabine, which I really wasn't expecting to say. But in the finale, when she is chopping up troopers and blasting them, like she's got one handed saber approach while shooting with the other. It is probably one of the most Mandalorian things I have ever seen. And she's finally finding a way to embrace both aspects of her, the Jedi side of her and the Mandalorian side of her. And to make it that far by the end of the season after how awful her approach looked in the pilot is a testament to Ahsoka's training and the growth that her character gets to experience over the course of the season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, that that's that's character development. That's that's totally just so satisfying to go from, you know, not believing, kind of being like Ezra, being like, what, you're a Jedi? How can you you bind this? And then going so far as to seeing her use the force to, you know, pick up the lightsaber and and throwing Ahsoka, throwing Ezra across the thing. I'm just like, yes, this is this is this is how you do it, man. This is how you set something up and pay it off. Because she she struggled to pick up a cup earlier in the season, right? Right. I, I think it was a cup. She she was sitting in on on Ahsoka's ship, and was like having trouble moving something across the table. And then she she had a very Luke Skywalker moment where she had trouble calling for her lightsaber. But when she did, she was able to you know break free of the grip. And then I I I I think there's been some debate on certain social pages about the moment where she pushes Ezra because she literally just learned how to call the saber to her hand. But I think there's a couple of things about that moment that I would use to justify it. Number one, fight or flight. If she doesn't do this, they all die. And and your fight or flight instincts give you a huge kick of adrenaline just as a regular human. I can only imagine what that kick must give to somebody that is learning how to harness the force. And so I I think her fight or flight instincts are a big deal. And then we see throughout the entirety of the series that a ton of her decision making is based around Ezra. They're never going to make it like a, a romantic implication, at least not in this series. But she cares deeply for Ezra. She cares deeply about finding him, about saving him, about helping him. She is so, so focused on that. And all of that focus was channeled in that moment where she pushed him aboard Thrawn's ship. In all of that adrenaline and all of that focus that she has been carrying throughout several episodes, all of that was channeled into one giant force push. And so, yeah, people are going to joke about it that it's like, oh, she can do this because reasons. Well, those are the reasons, damn it. I mean, that the force is very convenient like that. You know, Luke starts out a new hope, not even knowing what the force is. And then by the end of the movie makes makes a shot and and puts that thermal, you know, that that proton torpedo down a thermal exhaust board that's only two meters wide. Like this stuff happens. It's very convenient a lot of times. Um, I would say it's it's not that convenient with Sabine. She took the whole season to learn how to use the force and she mm-hmm. uses it twice. And the first time she really struggles to get the lightsaber. But when she's done, she's like, 
okay, she's unlocked that part of her brain that knows how to use the force now. She's she, she's figured it out. She's crossed right. the barrier. Right. Of course, if she can pick up a lightsaber, she can force throw Ezra across the uh, across the thing. So like, I don't. Yes, it's a little convenient, but also, I think it's well done. So you know, I I, I don't know what you want from this. Yeah, you you can't have it both ways. I'm just gonna put it that way. You you can't you can't have it both ways. But I I do think that there's a lot of different instances of character growth and character development. Ahsoka's kind of salty at Sabine in the first couple of episodes. Right. And then by the finale, she has had her experience with Anakin. She has learned from her mistakes, learned her lessons. She's in a whole other galaxy. It's making her wiser as they go along. And, you know, she has learned that in spite of Sabine's mistakes and choices that she's made, it's led them to this point and they have to live with it now. And rather than, you know, judge her and berate her over it, she chooses to stand by her. And I I think that's great character development for their relationship and, and for, you know, what they represent for each other. And then even Ezra, you know, the last time we saw Ezra, he was a, he was a teenager and yeah, he made a pretty wise and pretty big sacrifice, but he didn't mope about his exile. You know, he made new friends. He made the most of his situation and he trained, he trained to the point that in certain circumstances, he doesn't even need a lightsaber for combat. He has learned how to harness the force. And he says that it's his ally. He he has become more Jedi in in my opinion than even Kanan was. And Kanan was yeah. a great Jedi. But eventually, according to certain Eastern proverbs, the pupil must surpass the teacher. And for Ezra to be able to to learn and harness the force in new ways all on his own, I, I feel like he has become the Jedi that he always wanted to be. And he was able to do it all by himself. So tons of growth, tons of character development, tons of, of progression and storytelling. And it's, it's so fun to, to see it all play out. Yeah. That thing for everything from like, you know, the broad strokes of going back to that Canaan quote of like using a laser sword does not make you a Jedi. Like, that's the whole yep. thing. And then, and then Ezra taking from that and going like, I don't need a lightsaber. Like I can do this on my own. And then, yep. but then when he does get a lightsaber, the little things of, oh, he's got the emitter thing that Kanan has on his lightsaber now. And his lightsaber is very reminiscent of thing, which is something that Jedi usually do. They, they often honor their masters with their, their saber design. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ezra is honoring Kanan in so many ways and also surpassing him in a lot of ways and being even more of a Jedi than he is. And uh, that's just brilliant. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I I liked that scene where he's he's constructing a lightsaber um, because that is something that has been a part of Hu Yang's character, his persona for hundreds of years, if not thousands. And uh, it's just it's not something that that gets 
extrapolated on that gets explored on all that much in this series. He's more like a sassy accompaniment droid. And uh, in in that moment, he gets to be the teacher and gets to kind of put Ezra in his place a little bit by saying, yeah, you may have learned how to build a, a lightsaber from Kanan, but who do you think Kanan learned how to get a lightsaber from? And so it, it may have been a little out of place for a finale, but it was still a good moment because we we get a lot of David Tennant. That's another thing, dude. I was not expecting to have this much David Tennant in, in this series. Like, did not expect I, that. I loved him in Doctor Who. He's still my favorite Doctor. And I, when when he was in the the Clone Wars, I thought it was just going to be a cameo. And now that he's got like a whole role in this show, it was so fun. Like he he's got that combination of of sass like you get from chopper or r2 but then he's also got like some some helpful loyalty and even some wisdom to him that you don't get from a whole lot of other droids it's just he he may be one of my new favorite droids period i love ig11 uh of course i love 3po but hu yang is is definitely up there now for me because of this show Oh, he definitely is for me, and I, I didn't, you know, it was a surprise to see him in the trailer and be like, oh, he's going to be in the show. That's cool. Like, I didn't even know he survived Order 66, and then having him be such a huge part of this, um, just great. Just, just he's, David Tennant is fantastic, obviously, um, for so many other reasons, but um, in addition to this, of just being like, oh, Huang is such a fascinating character who is similar to 3PO. Yes, he's a he's a he's a he's a kind of a goldish droid with a British accent. Um but he's so much more than that. And it brings so much new stuff to the table in regards to droids. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's he's got he's got character. He's got sarcasm. He's a he's a repairman. He can fix the ship, but he can also He can box he, with four arms. He can box with four arms. He can teach you different fighting styles he can he can teach you how to build a lightsaber he he's got a anthology of stories that he can tell you while you're sitting there in a space whale going from one galaxy to the, the other like he is a jack of all trades when it comes to droids yeah it's great well we have we have been talking for two plus hours on our thoughts on this show and we are going to come back and kind of round things out um, at the very end of the episode talking about like our favorite new characters, although I may have just given mine away, our uh, favorite episode from the season and then our um, overall score. But I think it's time that we actually dive into the, the comments section and take a look at some of the thoughts from our longtime listeners over in the intergalactic peace hangout. What do you say, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to start, with Chris, uh, Star Raptor, a friend of ours, been on the show before. He's got his own show that he talks about Ahsoka on on a regular basis. I forget what day of the week that they record on now. For a while, it was weekends. I think maybe it's Sundays now. Uh, yeah, I he's apologize. been changing it up. He's I, changed, changing it up a little bit, but it's, it's hey. called uh, I think it's Outer Rim Transmissions. It's on Star mm -hmm. Raptor YouTube channel. So just yep. go go check that out. They do they, they do it one, at least one night a week. They have a big episode, and now so and, he does few two video stuffs like that too which is great 
and IPC has definitely changed its recording dates over the years. We started on Fridays and then we did Saturdays and I think we went back to Fridays for a while and now we're Wednesdays. It's just it happens. Life happens. So um, he says the series was good. Some of the best lightsaber duels of the last 10 years, epic nostalgic moments and good world building. I wasn't completely satisfied by the finale because it left too many open threads for a limited series. I needed some more closure on characters. Overall, the series delivered on plot, but it needed more character story. Seven out of ten. Well, Chris, I think the the biggest thing that I would emphasize is, even though it hasn't been confirmed, the way the story was told, I highly doubt that this is going to be just a limited series. All, all signs point to a season two. Yeah, I totally, I totally sympathize with Chris on like not being satisfying but i think that's also the point and i think that ultimately like if we don't get a season two we'll at least get another series where this will be followed up on this is too huge of a thing um to not come back to um and just you know it's just the fact that um ultimately we're we're dealing with um Filoni, who i think pretty much has keys to the kingdom in regards to star wars he can pretty much do anything he wants um, so I think he's he's major flexing here. I'm just like he followed up on one cliffhanger. Now he's creating a bunch more cliffhangers and he's going to he's going to pull them off eventually. I, I, I think it's much like Thanos. It is inevitable. True, true. So I uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a fair assessment. But but we got a very good but very long review from our good friend Steven Schinder. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and jump into this because I, I want to sleep sometime tonight. And I feel like if we, if we don't like get into this right now, um, then it's, uh, well, we, we, we might be here a while. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and dive <laughs> into it real quick. Bit, um, bit, of, bit of an essay, but if you check your DMs, I think I've got a way to give you a little respite after you're done. Well, that's perfectly fine that's perfectly fine i'll just run through this and we'll see how it goes um so steven says and i quote overall i thought it was fine parts one two and four felt very middle of the road for me uh though i like the rest of the episodes more it was off-putting how stoic everyone was for a while and it made my yearn me yearn for this series to be animated instead of live action rosario dawson hasn't hadn't felt like ahsoka to me in all of her live action outings until some parts of part three and then part four part five onward as someone who dislikes the world between worlds being used as the explanation for ahsoka's survival in the rebels and why we see her wall walk back into the temple at the end of the twilight of the apprentice and uh, and badly timed after the loss of Kanan, as it almost felt like feels like trading Ahsoka for Kanan. I was surprised how much the world between worlds didn't bother me here. I thought the visions of the Clone Wars were tastefully done and stayed focused on Ahsoka and Anakin and didn't go full blown in fan service by spending too much time on Rex, having Darth Maul appear or having Ahsoka fight an armored Vader for a lengthy amount of time. There's wasn't as many glup shadows as there could have been. I think it's clear that Anakin here was a force manifestation like the Grand Inquisitor Temple Guard and Rebels, and it's not until the very end that we see Anakin as a force ghost or Jedi spirit or whatever you call it, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think Sabine kind of eventually started to feel like Sabine. Apart from Chopper, Hera for a while was the only part, only one who felt like her animated counterpart, apart from the voice. Also, Jason was a nice addition, and they reinforced that the force 
can be in any life. I still don't appreciate the absence of AP5, though I am glad Huang is in this. And while I'm happy Lars reprised his role as Thrawn, I think the re- the real most valuable MPP when it comes to translation between media is Ezra. He looks and sounds how you'd expect an from an Ezra who is 10 years older, the moment where he says he doesn't need a lightsaber was such a triumphant understanding of the Force. I heard the argument that Yoda shouldn't need a lightsaber if he's centuries old and the Force is his ally. I honestly wouldn't mind if Rey's Jedi Order relied less on lightsabers, which might have to be the case given Ilum's destruction. Quote, this weapon is your life is kind of like a creepy sentiment in a way. Um, the action felt like kind of hit and miss at times early on i didn't feel emotionally invested because i didn't know what exactly balin and shin were all about i still really don't the only thing i found interesting was his somewhat relatable line where balin said he misses the idea of the order but not its weaknesses he is mourning a version of himself that used to have this optimistic belief in something greater so that kind of intrigued me but i still feel like felt like they went almost nowhere in explaining this. And the fact that it wasn't until this finale, unless I missed something, that we really get context for what went on with Ahsoka and Sabine's training is ridiculous. And I also thought it was kind of stupid in part two when Ahsoka, knowing Merrick's lightsaber was flying back to him, did a sidestep and let it land in his grip. If she could sidestep with ease and not surprised by his flight and lightsaber, couldn't she have just stopped it somehow and prevented more violence from his light, the lightsaber? The action in the last couple episodes definitely felt better to me, but even it had the Rebels feel to it. This scene in the penultimate episode felt like the warg attack on the two towers in the two towers film except actually good and not filler the ending surprised me by having ezra come home and sabine ahsoka and huang stranded in the other galaxy i'm not sure why ezra needed to be wearing the stormtrooper armor kind of makes him look stupid as as he could have been as could have been the shot Thrawn escaping was pretty much a given i think my expectations for this season evolved as i realized midway through that this is more like a prelude not a prequel as i as that has been a different def- definition to the bi- to the big crossover event that will probably culminate in the Filoni movie. These new Republic era shows really feel like comic books in structure, whereas Andor feels more like a novel. Overall, I'd give this season Ahsoka, of Ahsoka a planet score of 7.25 out of 10. I'd had some really good moments, but also cannot excuse some of the weird decisions and lack of context. I would think maybe they would have a season two plan, but these days it can be hard to tell. Either way, some things probably saved for season two could have been in this season. Looking back, I gave Obi-Wan Kenobi a 7.67, so I guess Ahsoka is slightly below that. I definitely believe definitely above the Book of Boba Fett, and all of those are below the Mandalorian and Andor, in my opinion – just to be clear, that is my opinion, not as somebody else's, or maybe it was also somebody else's. I don't know, but that's my opinion, at least. Anyway, that's my review of Ahsoka. Feel free to like and subscribe. <laughs> End quote. Take a deep breath, my friend, and a bow. Holy well, smokes. That's, um, <laughs> Steven says in the chat, making up for my list being so short last time. That is yes, true. Yes, you made up for a lot more than that one. More but than made look, up for it. Look, a great review, a great review. Hats off to Steven for, for mm. being so eloquent and uh, stating his, his opinion so eloquently. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of your points in there. Um, just to respond to the Stormtrooper thing, I think the implication there was that he took the Storm – Ezra took the Stormtrooper's armor and 
disguised himself, and that's how he he stowed away on Thrawn's ship for the entirety of the trip, and then stole the stole Balin and Shin's ship to get out of there. Yeah, he's definitely not above stealing trooper armor for his Just purposes. Very very Ezra thing to do, I guess. It is a very Ezra thing to do. Um, but yeah, if if you don't really know much about Ezra, then uh, and I'm not saying that Stephen doesn't, but for like a casual viewer, you'd be like, um, who is that? And why is a stormtrooper showing up on a New Republic ship? Like there there were definitely some some components of it that were misleading or confusing. But I, I do love the notion that it was Chopper who seemed to recognize him first. And Chopper, as you know, is a very shoot first, ask questions later type of character and so the fact that there were all these people with guns drawn and chopper is the first one running to him i think that spoke volumes to the connection that the two of those characters had that chopper would be like wait 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 don't shoot don't shoot and harris just kind of dumbfounded like wait a second chop you're telling me not to shoot you you're saying don't shoot like i thought that was cute um I think a lot of what Steven talks about here has to do with the fact that this show almost feels like two different shows. There's a lot of leading up to, there's a lot of building up to the actual meat and potatoes. And the first three, even four episodes could be argued as the appetizer before the main course. And we've mentioned a couple of times tonight that it had a bit of a slow burn. There was some mystery components. There was some character exposition moments. There was a lot of stuff talking about Thrawn and leading up to Thrawn and leading up to Ezra before we actually freaking see them like in six, seven and eight. And so it it took a really long time to get to the stuff that we were basically originally watching the show for. This is what we originally signed up for was Thrawn and Ezra, and it took several weeks to get there. And so I can I can see why some of these elements um, create mixed reviews, because much like Chris said and now like what Steven's saying, um, you kind of need all of these characters together and playing off of each other in order to get an accurate representation of their mannerisms. When you only have one or two people that these other characters are playing off of, I don't think you get the full scope of the the characters' ambitions and, and who they are and what they're about um, because they don't have the entire cast to play off of. And by the time you get to the last you know three episodes, they do. They have a whole lot more people to play off of, and they have a whole lot more circumstances. There's a lot more um, stakes involved. And so when you have those those heightened character opportunities, it gives you a better opportunity to showcase who they are and what they're about. So there's a lot of buildup, but it leads to a lot of payoff. So these these seven ish scores don't surprise me, but um, please don't be surprised if my score ends up a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Um I'm going to take the next couple because you read basically an essay. Um, Robin Glader, longtime listener, lots of comments and uh, even corrections 
over the years, which is always appreciated in case we screw something up, which I have no doubt I probably screwed something up tonight and we'll get a comment in a couple of days. But uh, Robin says, I really like this season, probably more than Book of Boba Fett and Kenobi. And I liked those. It did start out a bit by the numbers, I guess, but it just got better and better. Finale was good, though I felt they left things too vague with Balin, though I am still intrigued by his storyline. I think there was a lot about Balin that, um, since we know the context of Ray Stevenson, I think we wish that he had gotten more, um, not just for his character's sake, but for the actor's sake. If we had gotten just a bit more, um, it could have definitely enhanced the show. So, Well, um, and hindsight being... Hindsight being 2020, this, you know, if Ray Stevenson hadn't passed away, we would be looking at probably many, many years of him and that him as that character because they were obviously setting something up. But, um, oh, yeah, fortunately, that didn't happen. Um, so I think I think Dave Filoni clearly recognized that this character was special and Ray Stevenson's performance was very special. Um, it just sucks so hard that um, he can't fill that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jake Damon, one of our previous hosts back. Who? In the day, Jake who? Over a hundred episodes ago. Um, once upon a time, Jake Damon was one of the hosts of IPC. Um, he's got this thing called a job and uh, he's, he's got this thing called a wife and kids. And so he's uh, he's he's living his best life. They just went to the beach recently and uh, his kiddos didn't like it, but he did. So I'm glad that. <laughs> He's he's getting out and living his best life with his family, but he still took time to write in and has been taking time to watch the show. He says, I had some issues with it in terms of the acting and line delivery, even some of the logic, but I almost didn't care because I had a ton of fun with it overall. If you're a big fan of the prequels of Rebels and the Clone Wars, this is probably going to be a great time. He makes a good point that context is a really big piece of this show. You, you kind of have to have a rudimentary understanding of who the Rebels characters were, who the crew of the Ghost was, and what some of their ambitions are. Um, you kind of need to have watched the Clone Wars in order to feel certain pieces of nostalgia for um, Episode 5. And then um, you, you just, you just got to be able to do a little bit of research and, and gather some context and... Um, sometimes that's not something a casual fan is willing to do. So, uh, I do feel like this show was geared towards people who know and understand and appreciate some of the context that they're trying to build upon here. Yep, totally. Uh, let's see. Tim Ford chimes in a few hours ago saying this was the best Star Wars TV show to date. Wow. Mainly because it's the first show that fully continues a story that we've been watching for years, and I think it felt the most Star Wars out of all the shows they've produced. I hope we get another season before too long, but I do wonder what they'll do without Balin. He was the highlight of the show, and obviously they have something pretty big written for his story based on the season finale. Anyway, 9 out of 10 for me. Loved it. Oh, I, I, that's, I'm, I'm agreeing with a lot of that. I'm I'm right there with you, Tim. The 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 most Star Wars out of all of the shows they've produced. I think that is a line that I may end up copying when I give my final thoughts, Tim. Yeah. See, again, with the with the Andor thing, 
nothing to diss Andor. No, understand, mm-hmm. I love, love, love Andor, but it's not the Star Warsiest Star Wars because I consider right. Star Wars to be like this this perfect mix of fantasy and sci-fi and all these different things. And Andor was kind of focused on one bit of it, and that's the beauty of Star Wars. You can mess with that, and you can focus on different parts of it, and you can take out certain things. You can take out the fantasy element, but Ahsoka was just like, let's throw everything in. Let's just do it all. Let's let's do sci-fi and fantasy and space whales and and just all this stuff. Um, so that's why I I, I agree with Tim. I think he's some of the, some of the best Star Wars to ever Star War. It's a very fair point. Um, and we have one more comment. This came in. I wonder if he's still tuning in. I don't think he is. It's probably too late for him now. Perhaps. I don't. I don't know. I, I feel like he's. He, we always broadcast really late, which is also very early for this guy, Mr. Dan Grievous. Um, he just sent in his comment just a few few hours ago. Um, we always love hearing from him, and he says, I quote. Ahsoka started out a bit slow, but things kicked into high gear once Anakin Skywalker entered the picture. Dreams became a reality in Episode 5 with the epic flashbacks to the battles of Teth, Ryloth, and Mandalore. Episode 6 and 8 gave me so much Star Wars greatness to think about that it will last me until the next Star Wars celebration. Did I mention all the glorious references and callbacks? There are so many, and they made me very happy. I mean, Hayden Christensen name-dropped. Asajj Ventress in a live-action Star Wars project. That's wild. The the finale was awesome with a couple of missed opportunities, but it was introduced the wider audiences to Star Wars zombies. I can't stop thinking about that. And the resurrection chant is the same as it is in my favorite The Clone Wars episode, Massacre. Man, the season four episode continues to influence new stories in the galaxy far, far away. Might have to stop here before I go on many tangents. Thank you for reading, <laughs> and may the force be with you, IPC. Well, may the force be with you as well, Dan. Um, I know I, I, I was I couldn't help but think about Dan. It's like, oh, there's zombies in this. There's mentions of General Grievous and Ventress. Like, it's this show has everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely was thinking of Dan when uh, Asajj Ventress was was name dropped, but I I also think that he's he's very spot on with the the references that get made, and I and I think Jake is spot on like piggybacking putting these two comments together. Those those references are great for people who know them, like Dan and right. you and myself and Jake. Those are those are great, great references. My wife has no idea who Asajj Ventress is. <laughs> so when a name drop like that happens, it, it doesn't mean anything for the casual viewer. And that's where I have a tough time because I want everybody to be able to enjoy Star Wars. But I also want to relish in the fact that this is basically a continuation of my childhood being brought to live action. And... I appreciate it, and I'm in group chats with other people who appreciate it, and I'm hosting a podcast with somebody else who appreciates it. And so I just – I'm trying to enjoy it as much as I can without overly critiquing it. Well, yeah, and I mean there was there was a point in time as, as beloved as The Clone Wars is and Star Wars Animation is now. There was a time not too long ago where it wasn't, and it was treated as this True. something that was lesser than. And we've come a long way. But there's still a lot of people that don't see the 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 beauty in Star Wars animation. And I think stuff like this just adds more to the 
to the breadth of that and adds more legitimacy to it and, and just basically flies in the face of all those people that discounted the Clone Wars back in the day of going like, no, it was always real Star Wars. It was always a part of the story. And hopefully people that, that aren't caught up on this stuff, that are maybe just watching Ahsoka, and this is the first Star Wars thing they've ever seen, they'll they'll really get into it because for one, it's a really good show. And that they'll recognize that anybody that watches it. And number two, maybe they'll start Googling stuff. They'll Google Asajj Ventress. And they'll go, oh, it's this character that first showed up in the Clone Wars micro series, And then it was in a bunch of comics and books. Yep. And was in Dark Disciple. And then went on to be in the Clone Wars. And, and was massively, you know, get, had one of the best character arcs in all of Star Wars. In the Clone Wars. And was written by George Lucas's daughter, Katie Lucas. And just has this breadth of thing. And just like, oh, she's just got to mention this live action show. And that just mm-hmm. shows up just like how important every line is. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's one of the other things that I've I've really enjoyed um, is a, a word, even a word like Mortis or a single word like Abeloth is now becoming something that is trending on social media because so many people are talking about it and discussing it and theorizing it and researching it like. I, I I probably could count on one hand the number of times I saw Abeloth trending on social media. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and the la- and the last time Mortis was trending was probably back when the episodes first aired. And so to to have to have those things becoming part of the cultural zeitgeist again is so cool to see. And and I'm I, I for one am glad to see that it's happening, and I'm glad to see that um, people like Steven's dad and stepmom have been enjoying the show for its unpredictability. You know, we we can't anticipate what's going to happen in this show because we we have no context, we have no books, we have no um, you know end of the line insight. With Andor, we know what's going to happen to him. Right. We've already seen Cassian's fate, but with something like this, everybody's fate is uncertain. Everything is unknown. It's new, uncharted territory. And that that can be kind of scary for some of the fans that want to see somebody like Ezra survive and, you know, make it to, you know, make it back home and have that hug with Hera that they conveniently left out. It's going to have to be the very first scene of season two. It like, better damn well be. Like, there, there's little things like that. And also the fact that he wasn't introduced to Jason. He doesn't even know that Jason exists. And I have a very strong suspicion that uh, he's going to train Jason. I agree. Because Jason had a connection to the Force and was able to kind of locate Ahsoka. And now his dad's apprentice has come back from another galaxy. I fully expect part of season two to be the two of them bonding and then Ezra deciding to take him on as his apprentice. I fully expect that to happen. Yeah, that's that's the man. If it doesn't happen, what a missed opportunity. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All great comments, by the way, everybody. Thank you so much for contributing to our show and being a part of our show. Even if you weren't on the show, you are now in the show and officially on the record. Uh, thanks to to us reading oh, yeah. off your comments and thanks to you all for sending stuff in. I did look it up. It's about 730 a.m. in Bulgaria. So unless Dan is getting ready for the next day. He may or may not be tuning in, but he'll always be able to 
have a listen to it after the fact. We're coming into the home stretch, though. We've only got a couple of things left. Uh, this next one's going to be a pretty easy question. Uh, at least I think it'll be an easy question. We're not talking about established characters. We're only talking about new characters who are getting like an expanded storyline. I think Morgan Elsbeth would count because she only appeared in one episode of Mando, didn't have a very big role. Um, but we're talking predominantly new characters new to the franchise and new to this series who's your favorite new character ben see i mean it's it's a tough one because there is so many and i man i want to say balin i really do want to say balin and i maybe i will say balin um but you know i i don't know i mean what are the options there there is a lot of really great options but and I'm trying to think through all of them in my head right now, but and and trying to avoid the cop out answer. But I, I I don't think I can avoid Balin. Honestly, I think Balin is is the is is the is just the best new character, the most intriguing new character. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, I don't think Shin was given a ton to do and a ton to you know to to kind of go off of i think her character was kind of lacking i think that maybe that's by design that we'll more learn more about her but like you know we didn't get a whole lot with with balin but he's like so intriguing and uh, he's someone that like i am desperate to like i really hope they are just willing to recast and keep going with that character because Mm -hmm. he there's so much there Mm -hmm. Uh, and and see i I want to say Hu Yang, but he's been in the Clone Wars, you know. Right. Like I, 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 I loved the continuation of his character, but he's not necessarily a new character. Um, Thrawn isn't a new character. I mean, he's new to the live action sequences, but he's not necessarily new. Um, I did enjoy his presence, though. I enjoyed the Great Mothers. I, I thought that the way that they had a unified voice was very similar to the the growling echoing type of voice that mother talzin had in the animated show and 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 having it reverberate like that just continued some of the lore with the night sisters and so um you know if, if i had to pick a runner up it would probably be the great mothers because they contributed to the story and sometimes they were able to say something without saying something like when they were departing and Thrawn ordered the temple to be raised to the ground, the three of them exchanged a look that they were not very happy about that order that was given. And so there may, there may be a bit of tension going on there. Um, but they would definitely be my runner up because Balin's my number one. And, and, And I think it's by a landslide. Ray Stevenson just absolutely crushed it. And even if you're not a fan of star Wars, you can be a fan of the acting that he brought to the table. Um, in the midst of maybe some other characters trying to find their footing and figure out who they are and what they're about. I think Balin knew what he was about from the beginning and never wavered in what his his goal was. And to a certain extent, he reached it. Um, but there's definitely more of his story to be told. And regardless of who plays him, I definitely think a recast is in order so that this characterization may be continued. Um, Ray Stevenson left a great template, but he also left big shoes to fill. So 
Um, it, it's not really a tough decision, but it's a tough circumstance because um, it, it's going to be different without Ray around. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now for the tougher question. Favorite episode? <sighs> See, there's so many, and like, I really like. I was a little. I need to. I need to go back and like watch the finale again because I was kind of. I was like, ah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. There's just so many unanswered questions or whatever else. But like, I really did enjoy it. Um, I think I'm gonna have to go back to episode. Um, episode five. I think the Anakin episode with the Clone Wars. I mean, just just being the fact that it was. I'm a big, you know, we're all we're all Clone Wars fans here. We're all old school people here yeah. that love that show. It's hard not to pick that episode. Being seeing the the like you know Dan was referring to the battles of Teth and the battles of Ryloth and the battles of of Mandalore yeah. come to life in live action. Um, it's it's really hard to beat that. Um, so I uh yeah really really love that episode. Yeah, I I think those are probably my two favorites as well. Um. I think Shadow Warrior Part 5 is probably the most complete episode. Um, it, it provides closure to a certain storyline. It, it has um, some really great character-driven components. The, the flashbacks um, and the, the sequences with the Clone Wars um, bringing Rex to life. I, I've probably got to give it to Shadow Warrior as well. I think Episode 5 is also my favorite but I do have to give a very close runner-up to Part 8. It didn't provide closure, but I think that's what a season finale is supposed to do. I, I, I think in most cases, you have to leave enough open-ended for there to be a demand for more, and I think that's what Filoni did. I think he left enough out there for there to be a demand to see what happens to Ahsoka and Sabine next to see what happens to Ezra now that he's home, to see what Thrawn is going to be up to on Dathomir. Is he going to reunite with Palion? There's a lot of questions out there. And I like that we don't have all the answers. It's going to lead to a lot of really great discussions. It's going to lead to a lot of really great um, YouTube videos and conversations, and I like that about it. Um, but I also really liked the choreography of Eight. The, the fight sequences between Ahsoka and Morgan and Sabine finding her stride and um, her and Ahsoka and Ezra in the temple making their way up the staircase fighting against the undead. We haven't mentioned that pretty much all evening aside from when Dan mentioned it. They freaking went zombie stormtrooper route. This is this is like Bonkers. something straight out of a legends book. This is ridiculous and bold and unlike anything that Star Wars has ever attempted to do. And it, it wasn't executed perfectly. I'll be honest. It wasn't done perfectly. I agree. But the fact that they went there was such a bold choice. You knock them down, and then they chant for them to be resurrected. It's like Dan said, it's the same resurrection chant from one of the darkest pieces of Star Wars you're ever going to find, that Clone Wars episode, Massacre. And it's just, it's so incredibly well done. And so many great hand-to-hand combat sequences. And the fact that, that Ahsoka instructs Sabine to switch to blasters, and she hides behind them as they deflect the shots, and she shoots at them from behind 
um, their lightsabers. It's a coordinated attack pattern, and it feels very peak Jedi. It the, the the type of choreography that you get in that episode reminds me of the type of choreography you got in the prequel trilogy when the Jedi was at the height of their order. Um, the, I think the reason why it's not as fluid in four, five, six, and even seven, eight, nine is because there's still a lot of training to be done. There's still a lot of work to be done. A lot of these characters that are fighting in those two trilogies are very rough around the edges, but the fighting style in that final episode was very reminiscent of some of the fighting styles that you get with like Obi-Wan versus Maul in the Phantom Menace, you know, it's, it's fluid. It's, near flawless and it's so much fun to watch yeah it's even thrawn gets nostalgic he's like it's like just like the jedi of old exactly exactly and and i think that is i I think that's partially respect for what they're doing respect for their efforts and he he has to call on morgan to to make the ultimate sacrifice using the blade of Talzin. This is this is the same sword that fought Mace Windu, my dude. Like that's another deep Clone Wars cut. Crazy, 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 crazy. It's it's it, it like it doesn't mean much of anything. Like I had to tell my wife who Mother Talzin was, but once she had that other context, it was like a light bulb went on. She was like, oh, and so it's it's also kind of fun to like catch those references and then be able to share them with other people. So yeah, I mean, five had great choreography and great storytelling. And I think eight did a lot of things right, but just not as right as five, if that makes sense. But those, those would be my two picks. Yeah. I I think those are great picks and uh, yeah, just ultimately just incredible. Um, we're we're very near the end of this, folks. I promise you. We're, we're very, very near. We promise. Before we give our final scores, this was an element that I that I wanted to touch on, and I and I hope we can take you know two to three minutes to to talk about it. Um, there's a lot of elements from other series, other shows that crossed over into this show, and I'm curious your thoughts on how well they worked we've got things like the purgle from rebels we've got hu yang from the clone wars we've got the world between worlds from rebels we've got mother talzin's sword i just mentioned we've got the mortis gods which were alluded to in both the clone wars and rebels i also just noticeably found like remembered that sabine possessed the dark saber for a time and Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they even mentioned it in this show. And no, yet it's a didn't. key it's a key part of what's going on in the Mandalorian TV series. So not only are there mentions of certain things, but there's also omissions of certain things. What element do you feel like might have worked the best in this show and what didn't work? I probably probably my favorite inclusion connection cameo however you want to say it i really loved the inclusion of mon mothma chancellor mon mothma in this show i think 
it not only speaks to just like, you know, what's going on in the galaxy and gives us more exposition on it and, you know, just like gives a clear thing of like, yeah, Mon Mothma was was chancellor after the war and she was the leader. It also gives more perspective on just like what's going on with her and the fact that, you know, we see this contrasted with her in Andor, like directly, like almost within just, you know, a year or so of each other, we see you know, what's what's going on in Andor and her trying to be a rebel and trying to do all this. And then, you know, kind of her slipping into being a bureaucrat, and someone who's kind of in the way of progress um, in in Andor, in, in this show. And I think that was great. Um, overall, I'm, I'm trying to think of like something that didn't work for me because there was a lot that did. There really wasn't a whole lot that um, things I I, too. I too lament the lack of a hug <laughs> at the end. That literal connection between two people, um, that 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 kind of sucked. But also, I'm I'm trying to give Cloney credit here and say that perhaps there's more to that. And uh, the fact that um, you know uh, you know leaving on that moment was meant to be unsatisfactory. And also, um, I think we're gonna pick up maybe maybe even from that moment we're gonna get more from. You know, from Hera and uh, you know Ezra's renewed, uh, you know, thing, and also maybe a first meeting of of uh, Ezra and uh, forgetting his name somehow, <laughs> her Ezra son, Ezra and Jason. Ezra and Jason. There you go. Yeah, Stephen says that even Sabine and Ezra's reunion could have been a bit better. I think it was fine. Like, honestly, I, I, I think we we get our first impression of live action Ezra and he is just as sarcastic and and charismatic as as he left off in animated form. Um, I, I didn't have a problem with it necessarily, but um, there are definitely components that I lament. I have never been a proponent of the Purgle. I, I, I never have. And I don't think I ever will. I think they were better represented than they were in Rebels. And I appreciate what was attempted. But all I could think of when she had that that moment was Spock having a mind meld with a whale in one of the Star Trek movies. And then after that, it just felt like a glorified borrow from Finding Nemo. And so the the space whales has never really done it for me. And I, I guess that is one element that just it didn't it didn't really work for me. But that's a pretty, pretty mild critique. And it's something that's just kind of hyper specific to me. I don't think I've seen any other people complain about space whales, which is kind of weird, but whatever. Um, I mean, they're I, ridiculous. They're ridiculous. But I mean, they're kind of supposed to be ridiculous in a way and it, it's very very it's it's like high fantasy dial to 11 and uh yeah it's it's ridiculous but um yeah i guess um but as far as crossover elements that i did enjoy i guess um hu yang will probably be my answer that and mortis i'm really really intrigued to see what they do with mortis uh, i think there's definitely a lot of potential there and I look forward to seeing where they where they go. 
Yeah, I. So. Whew, there's so much potential. It's ridiculous. We just we just spent half the show talking about the potential of this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of how it actually was, but we're still coming up on a three-hour-long program, so I'm sure Star Raptor will be excited about that. He'd love how long <laughs> the last episode was. It's like I had to double check to make sure this was right. Well, guess what, buddy? <laughs> um, more where that came into, from. Yeah, for sure. Let's go into planet scores though, because we do need to wrap. Um, I I I don't I don't know if I can give it anything less than an eight. I I do think there are some pacing issues. I do think there are some character development issues. I think there's some execution flaws. I think there's there's definitely elements that could have been done better. But I also think that this is some of the better, more enjoyable Star Wars that we have been given. So I, I don't really want to give it like right at an eight either, because that seems too low for me to say this is some of the best Star Wars we've ever gotten recently. Eight out of ten. <laughs> like, I don't know, man, like there there are things to critique about it. But I think there's just so much more to enjoy. I think the things that I enjoy outweigh the things that I would want to nitpick and so i'm probably gonna give it an 8.5 i think that's fair okay yeah i i think that's totally fair and like to me you know it's tough because i don't this show is not i don't i i have my criticisms of it and it's not perfect um but at the same time i have very few criticisms of it and i think i really do put it up there like i thought Andor was near perfection, and I put it up there with Andor. Um, so I, my logic as it stands right now, my kind of raw thoughts after literally just having seen the last episode and and not really having a good time to process it, and also like twenty four hours ago, yeah, right, exactly, and also not having been on many podcasts to talk about this, which is also a part of my thought process of just like, yes, let's get on a podcast for two hours and talk about this one episode, and you know, let's go through it, let's hear everyone else's thoughts. Like I haven't had that, so that definitely affects my opinion. Um, I will give my ultimate opinion on this is i think it's a nine out of ten for me i think small nitpicks just like i think the first couple episodes didn't really grab me and were were not as as not to my liking pacing wise and some of the, the stylistic choices um and i think yeah the hera and ezra should have hugged okay all right i'm i'm, I'm being nitpicky but there you go um but that's <laughs> literally the only thing i could think of that i really did not like about this show oh man well you, you get you get to talk for two hours episode by episode but you got to talk three hours here on on this one not bad not bad but, but this is this is a grand overview with a lot of things that we're still processing and I plan on watching the rest of the Mortis trilogy. I want to go back and watch the Mandalorian episode that's got Morgan Elsbeth in it. I want to go back and watch the finale again. So this is all still very fresh and very raw for the both of us. But, um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's fair to say that this is like the most in line of Star Wars content for that is made for the Star Wars fan. I think Andor was made as a television series for anybody to enjoy. But I think Ahsoka was made more for the the Star Wars fans who have grown up on many pieces of Star Wars content and want to see those elements play out and pay off. And 
in many cases, I feel like it did that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Okay. We've done our planet scores. We've done the reviews. We've had a big conversation. I guess there's just one thing left before we call it a night, isn't there? I guess so. Wow. Okay. Well, maybe we will get done before midnight. (laughs) (laughs) We can try anyway. We will see. It'll be close, but uh, this this has been a great talk, and it's time to continue some of that great conversation right now. So if you're still listening live, which apparently two or three of you still are, um, get out those hashtags and put them in the chat or use social media if you're tuning in after the fact. But it is time for a very special and long overdue episode, edition, whatever you want to call this, segment <laughs> of hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 So we've had to postpone this particular discussion just to make sure that we had enough time for it. And hopefully we've got an adequate time frame for this. Ben, you've got a barbecue-related discussion that you have wanted to bring up for over a month now. I think it's closer to yeah. two months. And i am got to say, I'm pretty excited to finally get to talk about it. Well, I it won't take as long as I think it will. I'm going to try to keep this around five minutes, so maybe we can get wrapped before midnight, maybe. Um, but um, this is definitely something that I've been wanting to bring up, and uh, it's one that's near and dear to my heart. And it was I was going to bring it up last month because we were all about traveling, and I thought, oh, I got a perfect thing to talk about in regards to travel and barbecue, something that's related to that. Um, but I didn't get to bring it up then because we ran out of time, and we're almost out of time tonight – but I figured, why the hell not? Let's do this tonight. And this has to do with I, – I'm, I'm tying this in with this episode because this also has to do with traveling. Um, you know, this, this, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot going on in this, these episodes with traveling and you know going across galaxies and stuff like that, and you know people preparing to travel and stuff like that. Um, so you know, I figure this is right in line. So a lot of people know me as a a huge Star Wars fan, and and being a Star Wars fan, a lot of that is collecting and stuff like that. I've never really considered myself a collector, even though I do own way too much Star Wars content um, and stuff like of that nature. Um, but um, something that I do collect, and something that's I really have never really talked about this publicly before. I don't think I've ever maybe mentioned it on the podcast, maybe on this podcast, but I've never really talked about this. Is I collect postcards. Have I have I told you this? I know you've seen it in person. I've I've seen them about. at I've seen them at your restaurant. Y'all have them posted on your wall, don't you? Right. So basically, when I was little, when I would my parents were just big travelers and they took me along for the ride. And you know, I went to a lot of places, as I mentioned last episode, went to a lot of places when I was very young. And I'm still going to a lot of places to this day. Um, and you know, I'm not traveling as much as I did, but I still traveled a lot. And for some reason, I picked up this habit of Anywhere I would go, I would pick up a postcard or two or three or five um, of this thing. And so it ended up just me being kind of a little kid at a restaurant going like, well, I've got these postcards. What do I do with them? I started sticking them on the wall, and it became kind of an attraction. 
it became this thing with the with the customers. They would ask about it, and they knew we traveled a lot, and they would come and say, "Oh, where you been last time?" And you know, "What are you doing?" And then also, are these places of all you've been, and it kind of became this thing where I, and it kind of encouraged me to uh, keep doing it, obviously, and then also, um, you know, make it so that it was it was thing. So I would get purposely like go out and get cards that I thought would be interesting that would make good conversation pieces, and then. Um, it came along the lines of, um, you know, it was this thing of, at one point a few years ago, we we painted. I had a bunch of them kind of haphazardly thrown up on the wall, and then, but they were starting to deteriorate. Um, we had Hurricane Katrina. We had a foot of water in the building, um, and I lost a couple cards then because the humidity inside the the building was just sky high and it was really terrible. Um, so that was a whole mess. And then we got to the point where we had to repaint, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna take them all down. And I'm going to actually like take care of them. I'm going to laminate them and I'll post them back up. Um, so what is in the restaurant today is the renewed wall. And it has – I am I think it's over 300 cards, I think, total. Oh, at wow. least three, if not maybe 400. Um, but it's from everywhere I've been from Canada. I don't – even though I've been to Mexico, I don't actually have any cards from Mexico. Um, I don't have a card from every single place I've been to, but I have a – pretty much a card from every single state in the United States, including Canada. Um, and it's, it's now kind of a little thing attraction. I'm very proud of it. And it's something that, you know, it's, it's fun to, to share it with people. And, you know, it's, it's just, it, you know, I, I have a different cards and some of them have jokes on them. Some of them have, you know, information about the places they visit. I always try to pick something that's actually, um, you know, going to be informational. Um, so it's just fun. It's a lot of fun, and 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 uh, it ties right in with barbecue. So it's basically we have our one giant wall in the restaurant is purely postcards, and uh, it's it's become a conversation piece and something that the customers really appreciate, and I appreciate that they appreciate it. Well, I mean, it's probably one of the the most creative and cost effective ways to showcase your travels. And it allows you to stay true to your roots, which is the barbecue, which is the restaurant. Right. So it, it's it's a great hybrid of self-expression and travel while also, um, like you said, providing conversation pieces for the customers. They get to see all the places that you've been and ask you stories about these different places you've traveled to and why and what you saw and things like that. And so um, it adds another personal touch that a lot of places may not have, which is really cool. Steven says, this completely changes my entire perception of Ben. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a weirdo nerd postcard collector. You didn't know this about me, but now you do. Um, We've yeah. been collecting magnets to put on the fridge, but eventually we're going to run out of fridge space. But the my, my wife has been picking up stuff from... Uh, Shreveport and Miami and cool. a couple of other places. We went to Colorado this summer, so we got one with a big moose on it. And so um, our our refrigerator is kind of turning something similar into uh, into that wall of adventures that you guys have at your restaurant. And yeah. I look forward to seeing what gets put up there next. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm always adding to it. It's it's about the walls about full now. So I really I really I've slowed down on collecting, but um, you're gonna you just just put it on the next wall or put it on another. Yeah, wall. well, there's a mural on other walls, so it's 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 kind of hard to. <laughs> other walls are kind of pre preoccupied with other things, but um, you know, I'm 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 holding some in reserve too, you know, and um, there you go. So you know, what about scrapbooking? Well, yeah, that too. 
but you know i also like i've noticed that some of them are like fading because they've been exposed to, to light and stuff like that but i'm like yeah i i you know that's part of it like i don't want them to be in a book i want people to be able to see them and enjoy them so you know it's just one of those things well i'm sure y'all will come up with a solution and we're coming up on right at the top of the hour which is kind of impressive it's been a just over three hour long can we wrap podcast. this in two minutes i say well, yes i think we can because all i gotta say is go follow me at zach the voice c-a-c-h the voice that's where i've been doing all my stuff i do um you know my my broadcasts there that's my socials so you know what's coming up next we'll talk about ipc on there um, you can follow IPC on their socials at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But really, just try to join the Intergalactic Peace Hangout group on Facebook. That's where a lot of the announcements come in. That's where these comments that we talked about tonight came from. So um, just find the the Hangout group on Facebook and follow my socials at Zach the Voice. Um, and you can follow me at uh, Ben Harper Noe at Culture Slate at the SWU. Yeah, that's it. And every other Monday, I'm recording with Sean. We do some stuff over at the Phantom Empire channel. Um, sometimes it's Game of Thrones. Sometimes it's Star Wars. Sometimes it's just absolutely nothing, and we're just shooting the breeze. So um, you can follow you can follow Phantom Empire on YouTube as well to find some of the other stuff that uh, he and I do. Sometimes it's a live stream. Sometimes it's pre-recorded, but you should be able to find all the links there as well. But I post them on my socials too so just follow me at zach the voice and you'll find all the other crazy stuff that i do it's saying 11:59, so ben unless you got any other final thoughts i'm gonna shut this thing down let's do it thanks so much for tuning in to episode 366 of the intergalactic peace coalition podcast all we did was talk about ahsoka tonight for over three hours that's pretty crazy but we appreciate everybody tuning in, and we'll see you all next month for a very special Thanksgiving-related episode of the IPC Podcast. But for Ben, I'm Zach, signing off for now. Until next time, good night, everyone.
you're still with us live and we will resume our discussion it um, happens i i lost my internet that happens <laughs> i i i checked checked in with my lovely wife and her her netflix thing was playing for a minute there and then it stopped and we checked the router and it turned red so we didn't lose power but we did lose the internet so i'm using my mobile hotspot now um there you go. jesse says i dropped right after zach built up to revealing what the beacon was <laughs> yeah that's that's what i was gonna say just like go back to that because for one i want to hear it number two i need a good edit point yeah yeah so um i asked you about the beacon but then you didn't hear anything after that yes i you started like going into like okay this is what it is and i didn't hear any of that <laughs> okay Sorry it had to that, happen everybody. right when you were on like a big monologue <laughs> yeah yep yeah and then i was like trying to like trail off and leave it for you to kind of fill in this one little gap that i had and you didn't say anything and i was like yeah, like oh then say something i can't talk all night <laughs> yeah sorry about that y'all 